The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, welcome on now to discuss the Miami Heat in our ongoing season outlook series. I guess we had on way back in 2015, the first year that we ever did these, but Glad to have it back again to talk Miami Heat basketball, the CEO of Five Reasons Sports. And you can, if you're interested in Miami Heat podcasting, which I have been and I've been listening to it, the Five on the Floor podcast, which you can find uh, on all available audio podcast listening software. Ethan Skolnick, how are you? Good. Six years, man. Um, I, I think we did this right after LeBron left, probably. Um is uh is a long time ago a lot of a lot of things have turned over but most people in the heat organization never leave so <laughs> i guess in that sense that's true actually yeah have you uh have you met my uh former director of insight and foresight here uh liam doyle i have not to this point i have I'll, not. yeah i'll have to uh, uh let him know to say hello to you actually yeah he, he worked for us for a while and mostly due to his own efforts but maybe a little bit because he worked for us he was able to uh, get that job with the Heat working under uh, Shane Battier in their uh, analytics mm-hmm. department. Um, but let's uh, let's talk about these guys here. And I think the place I want to start is talking a little bit about last year. And I, for one, was very worried for the Milwaukee Bucks about that matchup with the Heat, obviously, based on what happened in 2020. And then the Bucks decided to just beat the crap out of the Heat on a Saturday before the end of the season. I was like, why are you doing this? You're basically ensuring you're going to match up with the Heat. But uh mm-hmm. I was wrong. The Bucks absolutely took care of Miami. So let's just talk about what went wrong for the Heat in that series, the weaknesses that they were trying to shore up uh, with their offseason moves. Well, I, I think that what happened in that series was kind of a microcosm of the season. It just got magnified over you know the last three games of that series. They, they were very competitive in the first game. They took the game to overtime, but I, I think that was kind of the max out point for that team. Yeah. Uh, if you if you go back through you know the entire season, they they just and, and Duncan Robinson finally gave voice to this, which they didn't want to admit last year, but they just were never able to recapture the magic of the bubble. It doesn't necessarily mean that what happened in the bubble was a fluke, but they maximized everything in the bubble. Um, they are an organization that, you know, thrives on routine. They have a certain way that they do things, uh, which they believe is better than anybody else in the league. And I think so, in, in a lot of ways over the past 25 years, that has been somewhat proven out. I think, you know, San Antonio and a couple of other organizations, Toronto, I think now, you know, that, that seem to have 
a developmental system and and kind of a, a very regimented plan that works. But the Heat have that, and so the bubble was perfect for them because you know they were it's all basketball, which is what the Heat like. Uh, they knew when the practice times were going to be. Um, they were able to 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 sort of I mean just work with their players with no distractions for a very long period of time, and that is always going to benefit them because they have a structure in place. They have a terrific uh, head coach, obviously, and and uh, and it's just a no nonsense organization in that regard. And they have you know had leadership and you know Jimmy Butler and Goran Dragic and Udonis Haslam in particular that was able to. To kind of pull that group together in the bubble. So what happens? They they have you know the second shortest offseason in NBA history, only behind the Lakers, uh, which was one day different. Um, you know they they don't they they don't really make the right moves in the offseason. It felt like they were just kind of trying to extend the last season. So you know they spent their money on Mo Harkless and Avery Bradley, uh, neither of which panned out. They 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 brought back Myers Leonard. We know obviously that didn't work out very well. And of course, they made the decision not to re-sign Jay Crowder, uh, which was understandable at the time because they were trying to keep their cap space open for Giannis. But, uh, you know, they didn't really get a good read on Giannis, even though he shares an agent with Bam. And then they had the other situation that Bam decided, which was his right to take the extension early, which changed their plans a little bit. And so they just had a confluence of factors that were not in their favor um, last year. And again, it's not an excuse, but there were reasons. And so I think you saw certain guys kind of hit the wall mentally. Um, I think they put too much on Tyler Hero's plate early in the season after a very short break. And they kind of they realized pretty quickly that was a mistake. Um, you know, Jimmy carried them for long stretches of the season, but whenever he missed any time, or was off the floor. The team just wasn't very good. They were uh, pretty much a minus five net rating with Jimmy off the floor last year. And then Bam made great progress in a number of different areas, but the one area that he didn't really progress was kind of his mindset in terms of being aggressive enough. And that that became a huge factor in that series. Uh, it was really magnified because, I mean, let's be honest, Mike Budenholzer and the Bucks had a very good plan. I mean, they parked Brooke Lopez in the paint and basically told Bam, beat us. And Bam just, it's not that he couldn't, he just didn't want to. He he kept passing on shot after shot to the point that, you know, a guy who's become a fan favorite, you know, pretty quickly here in Miami and a cornerstone of the franchise was, you know, getting, I wouldn't say booze, but there was a lot of sort of impatience with him during those last two home games because everybody kind of knew what was happening and, and he didn't seem to want to fix it. So I think all of those things came together. They didn't get the same Dragic as the previous year, you know, particularly what he contributed in the bubble. Um, Kendrick Nunn was up and down. So th- there were a lot of factors and then they had to plug in Trevor Ariza to that four spot. He did some good things, but he's not Jay Crowder in terms of physicality. And, and so I think that really hurt them in the Buck series because Jay at least gave them another body to throw at Giannis. All of that thrown together and then Jimmy struggling in that series, that they just didn't have a chance. So I I, I feel like, um, you know, well, I know we're going to talk more about what they did this offseason, but I can just tell you that, you know, the mood around them is better. Um, I, I just think they needed a break. I think all of yeah. them did. And, and it just, but it was, they finally a, had a break. A break, a break, a break for, for- a member of the Miami Heat? What, that's <laughs> is that allowed? Uh, not particularly, not particularly. <laughs> but 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 you know, it is still a Riley organization. But but I think even Pat, you know, acknowledged that you know they, it just was two seasons in one. Really, I mean, I you know we're a year. I mean, I don't think the NBA Finals had finished by this point last October. They played yep. an entire. Right. They played an entire season, had a training camp and a preseason game since um, I, 
it's it's just it was too much and, and i think we saw it around the league i mean look at the, look at the final four teams from from there well, what happened to boston uh obviously the what happened to the lakers from an injury perspective um and denver i mean even i mean had a very strong season but but lost you know murray along the way i mean all four of those teams to a certain degree underperformed um and and i i feel like they underperformed because they were put through something that no teams had ever been put through before which was these this incredibly short break after incredibly intense competitive playoff basketball it's it just was too much no i i think that's right and you know obviously they fixed some weaknesses uh, mm-hmm. which we'll get to um but i mean the biggest problem to me beyond everything you know they couldn't shoot straight in that in that series obviously against the bucks but you know jimmy and bam you know bam you know was kind of just being given that foul line jumper but like they just weren't able to even generate very good shots uh, to mm-hmm. me like J- jimmy butler putting Giannis uh, on him I, I thought was something that he really kind of struggled with I, I thought that that's something that wasn't going to work that well because Jimmy could use a screen and Giannis doesn't get over screens that well but they just went under on him Jimmy couldn't hit the couldn't hit the jumper he tried to bang his head against the wall in the paint which the Bucks obviously are great at and I thought they actually despite the fact he didn't play that much in that uh series in 2000 or 2020 Kelly Olynyk. I thought they missed yeah. his ability to spread the floor and get Brooke Lopez out from underneath the basket. So they just they didn't quite have as much shooting uh, as well. You know, I thought their defense was decent at times in that series. Other times, you know, when they weren't guarding Bryn Forbes, uh, it was a little uglier. So, yeah. I mean, there are so many things to clean up. But the number one thing to me was just that, you know, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo just didn't play well enough. And yes. so that's all the things that you can do around the margins, like Jimmy Butler is the best player in that series in 2020. And he obviously was not in 2021. So that to me, how good those guys are going to be before you even get into everything else that they did, which I think was obviously good. That is one of the bigger questions to me is like, can those two guys really be uh play at the level that they played in 2020? Cause otherwise no matter what you do around them, this team is not a championship contender. No, I mean, I think they can. And I think the bet, that they're making is that they can and it was pretty clear in riley's you know postseason presser that and i tweeted at the time i said this thing is jimmy and bam and everybody else uh i mean they, they they've made a decision and, and this organization has done that many times over the years it's zoe and tim and everybody else it's it's uh shaq and Dwayne and everybody else right i mean that's that's kind of the way that yeah. they've they've operated and, and it just was okay everybody else you know we're going to evaluate in the off season uh and i know we'll get to some of that but i mean i think with jimmy um, I think Jimmy was trying to talk himself into being able to carry them again. The, the co- some of the comments before the series, I'm stupidly locked in and all that. Uh, it, it felt even from Jimmy like a little too much bravado. I just think he was exhausted. I, I just, you know, again, carrying that team in the finals and then having to carry it through that regular season, which he really did. Um, I just don't think he had a whole lot left. And I think there was a certain point in that series where there was a recognition we can't beat them. And, and and I think that's when things kind of just the real. I think after game two, you know, when they got blown out in game two and they came back, it's just I just don't think they could summon the energy. I, I don't think there's anything that the Bucks did necessarily from scheme or anything else that gives me concern about Jimmy Butler going into this season. I, I think, you know, when you look at him, uh, he's he's in great shape. I think mentally he's in a better place now. Um, he has his best buddy. You know, he lost one of his best friends in Goran Dragic. 
but the only guy in the league that he would have approved the trade <laughs> of Goran Dragic for was Kyle Lowry. So I, I feel like he's just in a better headspace. And there was also some frustration from Jimmy towards some other players on the team who are still here. Um, you know, he and Hero, uh, it wasn't as smooth and friendly as it was in year one. Um, I All my understanding is that it, it has, and, it, and just from appearances, it seems like whatever was there last year has been repaired. Um, and so I think that's a positive. And then uh, Jimmy was frustrated with Bam. You could see it on the court. I mean, I, I think the thing about it is that Bam has never been an alpha guy on a team. Okay. Like, oh, you go all the way back to high school. A none of it. He he's all I mean, in, in college at Kentucky, he was the third score, third or fourth option. Um, and so, you know, the idea that, you know, Bam does everything well. Um, and to me, he is a max player, but you know, the, the one thing that's, that he has just not shown yet is that he's going to be an alpha from an offensive perspective on a consistent basis. And I think you could see it from Jimmy and other guys on the team last year, even Udonis has on the side, like bam, go. Okay. And I think when we start to talk about the changes they made this off season, a lot of that. I think was done to essentially empower Bam. I, the, the signing mm. of Kyle Lowry, um, which or the trade for Kyle Lowry, basically a signing. Uh, you know, it's going to be put in the Jimmy framework a lot. But I think it was more for Bam from a basketball perspective because Kyle Lowry is not going to allow Bam to do that. <laughs> you know, they, they all believe how good Bam can be, and they're going to bring that out of him. And Kyle's going to make sure of it. I mean, I'm watching the preseason game the other night. You know, the ball goes into Bam and he sends it right out. Kyle sent it right to bleep back in. Okay. Like, I, I don't think he's going to allow, I don't think he's going to allow Bam to get away with, okay, I'm going to do some dribble handoffs and be a great defender. Okay. And grab some rebounds and all that stuff and finish above the rim. He's going to force Bam to be a force. And I think a lot of that, uh, the offseason moves were built towards that. So um, I, I don't have any doubts about the two of them. I think you can win a championship with them as your two best players. I think you need, uh, you know, a solid complementary core around them for sure. And I think now they have assembled more of that. And, and so I, I think they're both going to be fine. Yeah, Bam, I was so excited about what he could do offensively uh, and particularly in that Celtics series. What he did in game six where he was just like, oh, you're going to guard me with Daniel Tice or you're going to switch? No, I'm going to just back you into the basket and just dunk on your head and score. And so, yeah, it was nice to see him get a little bit more aggressive. He got a little more aggressive with the mid-ranger last year. Actually hit it reasonably well, but the, you know that's kind of part of why it was so mystifying to see them get in his head in that Bucks series when they were just giving him that shot. But the Bucks are not a great matchup for him. You know, Giannis, Brooke Lopez, he's not be able to overpower those guys. You know, if they match up against Brooklyn, then I think, you know, some of the stuff that he can do where maybe even running some big, small pick and rolls and, uh, you know, getting into the post against smaller players, overpowering people, forcing help. Uh, I think all that can be good. The other thing I want to see him get better at too is – I think, you know, he's very much mastered that passing at the elbows and the DHO game uh, mm -hmm. and rolling to the rim, the two-man game with Duncan Robinson. What I want to see him pass is when he starts to make the move and the double team comes to be able to right. process that and make that pass when he's on the move attacking the basket as opposed to when he's just holding the ball stationary out top to recognize the double team coming, recognize a, a moving defense. It's much harder to do that when you're on the move than when you're kind of just holding the ball uh, up top and trying to make plays from there. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that that will come. Um, and I think it comes back to what we're talking about. I, I don't think Bam's ever been in that position uh, consistently. You know, this is not 
you know, this is not, you know, Alonzo Mourning, uh, you know, to use a heat reference, you know, who was, you know, a superstar early in high school and, and you know, all that. I mean, th- this is a guy who has basically built himself up to this. I mean, he was the 14th pick in the draft um, and he's exceeded virtually all expectations. They kind of had a feeling what they were getting when they got him. He was described to me by the, by the scouting staff that night as the anti-white side, uh, which was funny because Hassan was still on the roster and a starter. Uh, but th- they knew what they were getting. They were getting a hardworking guy with tremendous upside. Um, but I-, I think it's taken Bam some time to realize what his upside can be. You know, they call him. It's actually my co-host who coined this, and the Heat have kind of stolen it. Uh, but we have we have a shirt, no ceiling, um, and that's that. Now they're using that all the time, and mm. you know that's he refers to himself that way. And I, I do think that's true. I think in the in the modern NBA, the type of big you're looking for, he embodies all of it. Uh, but the only thing he doesn't have is that Jimmy Killer thing or that Kyle Killer thing. And I think what this year is about is Jimmy having help from somebody else on the team to try to bring it out of BAM. Uh, if they get that BAM, this team can compete with anybody in the Eastern Conference. This team eventually is going to have to become BAM's team. Now, by force of personality, it will be Jimmy's a little bit longer, but <laughs> even Jimmy recognizes that that, that is where the future yeah. is. Uh, also by force of uh, a very large contact contract extension well and no and no doubt and nate the, the expectations are different when people were frustrated with bam in the playoffs last year you know he was not a max player at that time he wasn't getting paid like a max player well now he is okay so uh you know he may not want the burden but the contract gives him the burden it'll be deflected some by the fact that jimmy just signed a monster extension and that kyle's making monster money but i mean this is their new big three i mean it's it, it you know it, it's not it's not you know lebron and Dwayne and, and chris bosh in their primes um, but it's pretty damn good, and 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 I and it fits um, in some ways. Actually, it fits better than the Dwayne LeBron thing did because we know that they struggled for that first year to kind of figure out who was going to handle on what spots on the floor and who was going to handle at the end of games. The the games of Bam, Jimmy, and and Kyle are complementary, um, and I do think it's going to click pretty quickly. But ultimately, this team will go as far as Bam takes them. I, I think we know what Jimmy's going to provide. We know what Kyle's going to provide. If Bam takes another mini step from star to superstar or borderline superstar level, uh, then, like I said, this team can compete with any team in the NBA. Yeah, because I do think uh, ultimately for this team, my biggest question about them, if healthy and if it, they don't experience too much age-related Mm-hmm. performance decline from the likes of tucker and lowry and butler uh is just whether they're going to be able to score enough i mean they had yeah. in that buck series they had one of basically the worst offensive series that any team has ever had uh you know at least relative to this high offense environment and you know i think bam being a guy who can overwhelm his matchup physically and you know, get the ball in the right spots, but also distribute some. I think yeah. that's one of their their ways out of that, you know, if Butler has a tough matchup. And I think Lowry is kind of more of a facilitator than a, a scorer at this point in his career. So, yeah, that, that I mean, I'm glad that we hit on that because that to me is one of the, the big questions. Um, let's talk a little bit more about that Lowry edition, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did the Heat believe that they are, are going to get out of Kyle Lowry that they haven't had these, you know, last maybe even – 15 years if not longer yeah well that well you hit on it um you know i tried to get uh, eric to engage on this a little bit because the last time they had a point guard that like this uh eric was a video coordinator uh because <laughs> uh, because this reminds me a lot of the tim hardaway edition now now kyle is older than tim was when he came in 
Um, but and Kyle actually was playing at a higher level than Tim was, because if you remember when Tim came to Miami, there wasn't much of a market for him. I mean, Pat stole him because he was basically playing third string point guard in Golden State after coming back from the injury. He's playing behind BJ Armstrong. Um, I, I remember Golden, it well. Yeah. In Golden State. And so but but the reason it, it's what he's going to provide is a quarterback, which they they, they just didn't have. And, and it's no disrespect to Dragic because uh, he's one of my favorite players and, and he is a unique player, uh, but he's not never been a pure point guard. Um, you know, he's not Kyle Lowry had seven assists in the preseason openers first half um, Dragic rarely got to seven assists with Miami. It's just, it's just not his game. Um, and now, and also Goran was not someone you could start, you know, for, you know, 82 games anymore. Uh, Kyle, you still can. Okay. They are going to have to rest him some, but, but he's coming in. I, I think, I think he'll get in the best shape of his, of his recent career uh, here in Miami. And, you know, he's talked about, you know, him being able to see the, see the floor better than he ever did, but you can see subtle things that are just, so, <laughs> are going to make the game so much easier for their other guys. Like, I mean, the hit ahead passing. I mean, the, the thing about Kyle Lowry that, you know, that, that I've come to appreciate, but when you've seen it here now in the scrimmage and then in the first preseason game is that he can push the pace without running. Um, that's not something a heat point guard has been able to do. In other words, the hit ahead pass is just making the right read, giving the ball to someone on the move, um, early offense type stuff, head up all the time, seeing the entire floor. Uh, they just, again, they have not had that kind of player. I mean, if you go through the, you know, the heats, you know, very successful 25 years and their list of point guards, you know, Mario Chalmers was mostly a bring the ball up and run to the corner type uh, as and Norris Cole handled a little bit more, but not a ton. You really have to go to Jay will, um, you know, during the nineties, the, the 0506 run where they had a pure, pure point. But even as I've made this point many times on five on the floor uh, with Jay will, like they coached him down so much in Miami, like Pat, <laughs> right. I mean, they, they took all the white chocolate out of it. It was just, you know, vanilla. Okay. No, I, I, I remember that. Well, yeah. They had to tell him, Nate, to to play free <laughs> because he, to his credit, he and I didn't look, I didn't like the move when they got him because I'm like, how is he going to fit in a, in a heat system? Uh, but he he fits so well that they were telling him. And I remember him breaking out in the Easter Conference Finals in that one game against Detroit. And it was like, Jay will be you like they, they hadn't they really he really wasn't himself that whole season. So they really haven't had this kind of player since Tim. I, I and and I think. When you look at what Kyle could provide, I think they're comfortable where he's at from a conditioning perspective. Of course, Kyle is a different type of body, as we know, uh, but I think he'll get into a, as good shape as possible here, um, as Hardaway did, because Tim was yeah. sort of a bad body player, uh, particularly late in his career. They had he had a, he had a fat clause in his contract. Okay, like so, I I think that. Um, I think it's going to fit in all those ways, but but I I really think that the biggest way it's going to fit, I keep getting back to this, is he's going to empower their younger players. I I, I just feel like he, as he said, I've made a lot of guys a lot of money. Um, Bam's made his money, but he may make Tyler Hero some money. I know Duncan Robinson's made his money, but he may make that contract look good. Um, I you know I think a guy like I, a guy I really like is a dark horse on this roster is Max Struess, and and I think he's a really good yeah. fit with Kyle. It, impressive summer league from just a quick aside here by the way do you have an understanding of how it is that the heat develop these guys who can just like fly off screens and just bomb from three because it's like first it was wayne ellington then it was yep. duncan robinson now you know Struce from in summer league was looking like that guy like Derek. have you, have you <laughs> ever discussed that at all with them of like well, how it, they it, make these guys 
it's a combination of things. Okay, I, I, there was a uh, a switch in the philosophy of the organization, uh, not right after the big three, but about a couple of years after, where Eric started to sort of put his imprint on things more. And and I, I don't want to say that Pat had never developed guys or they hadn't developed guys under Pat because we know going back to New York, okay, Starks and Mason and down here, the Ike Austins, the Bruce Bowens, the Anthony Carters, Malik Allen, Mike James, Udonis Haslam. Uh, I mean, how many, un- Joel Anthony, I mean, how many undrafted players, you know, were major contributors? Hassan Whiteside was drafted, but he had been dumped. Tyler Johnson, okay. They, they found guys through the years, but with that said, uh, Eric really put an emphasis on it. The coaching staff changed to more of a developmental staff. Um, and Adam Simon, who I think is, uh, you know, I, it's almost, he almost don't want you to mention his name because I, I think they're afraid of him getting poached um, and have been for yeah. the last three years. But, I mean, Adam has a real eye for those kind of players. Him and Chet Kammerer, who supposedly, again, nobody leaves the heat. Supposedly Chet retired like seven years ago, but he's still finding players for them. Um, they, they've just been able to find those kind of guys. I mean, they, you know, Eric believed in Duncan Robinson when we were all like, that's a roster player? Like, seriously? Um, yeah. And, and, and Struess, uh, you know, is a guy that's funny. My co-host, Greg Sylvander, has identified these guys on draft night, both of them. These are guys to keep an eye on for the heat down the road. Uh, and, and they ended up with both of them. Struess, um, he just fits the heat profile. He, it, the, the thing about him is it's not just that he can shoot, because actually the shooting he struggled with a little bit last year because his role was all over the place. Yeah. But he's much more, and I hate to do the white guy thing, he's much more athletic than he appears. Like he. <laughs> He, he can get above yeah. the rim. He was dunking, you know, uh, you know, in the scrimmage. Um, and, and he's also, he has good size. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, last year, like here's a two-way player and Eric was using him as a defender on some difficult, you know, wing and perimeter matchups. And we're like, why are you putting Max Struess on that guy? And Max competes um, in, in, a, in a serious way and he's physical. So I, I really do think they found something there. I, I, he's, I do think the shooting is going to come back up for him with a consistent role. He is their backup three. Um, and on another team, you know, you'd be like, okay, they're going to break in another one of these guys. They're going to try Gabe Vincent as a backup point guard. But with the heat, you're just kind of like, all right, they'll be good because, because it, it, they find those guys. I mean, if you go through the years and look at the players that the Knicks have drafted and that the heat have picked up as undrafted players, you would take the heats undrafted roster. Um, and, and so I, I just think that uh, they just, they have a knack for it, but it, it's Eric. Um, it's, it's, it's Adam Simon. It's some of their scouts like Keith Askins been in the organization a long time. Um, and they just, they just do a really, really good job with it. And, and now the other thing is that, and I forgot who reported this, but I, I, I believe it to be true. What's happening now is you're seeing a lot of agents direct their undrafted prospects to Miami because now there's a track record. If you can build a Duncan Robinson into an $18 million a year player, I want my player there. Uh, to see if they can do this with this yeah. guy, and I know but that Miami or Toronto, that's where uh, I would exactly. Be well, guys. And, and and Max and, and, and I mean, sorry, Nate. I'm mentioning Max Schuster. Nate, the thing yeah. about that is that's why it was interesting that they made the trade together because I think Precious is going to be really good there. Um, Me too. At, at, right, because they will do. It's just that Miami's on a different clock right now than Toronto because they're on Jimmy's clock, and and so uh, they were not going to be patient enough with it. But yeah, it, those are the two best developmental organizations in the NBA right now. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because 
my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where, do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us no i i agree and so yeah lowry you know you mentioned him pushing the pace like do you think they're gonna actually run this year because that's something that this team really has not done yeah. uh, in the jimmy era they haven't really had a, a point guard who likes to push the pace you know Dragic was kind of more of a, a half court operator at this point in his mm-hmm. career though he had played faster at earlier points so you think they're actually gonna run i, I mean I think maybe early in the season, they were bottom five in pace last year. Uh, we we did a podcast on this. I have them like the maybe 21st, 22nd this season. They'll end up. I, I, I think they talk about it a lot. Eric will do the windmill thing with his arms to try to get them moving. But as Eric always says, guys say they want to run and then you tell them to run and they don't run. Um, I, I don't. I don't think that this team, I think this team is, like you said, this this defense is going to be there. The scoring at times is going to be a struggle. They're going to have to find some easy baskets. The question is, will their defense create some of that for them? They don't have a lot of finishers. Um, this team is, uh, I said this in the pod the other night, they're more horizontal than vertical. Um, yeah. They've got guys like PJ Tucker and Jimmy and Markeith Morris and Deadman and Lowry. They like take up space horizontally. They're going to be tough to get around, but the only high flyer they really have on the team is Bam. Uh, they don't, you know, they don't have a Derek Jones Jr. anymore. They've never really prioritized that, but, but it's really clear on this roster. So I don't see that. I see, I see Bam running. Um, I see, I see Lowry getting him some easy ones by hitting ball ahead to him, but I don't think they're going to run a ton. I think they're going to try to play smart and early offense, but here's the other thing. They have three guys who can get to the line now, okay? And they're all good free throw shooters. 
Okay, uh, in in Lowry, Bam goes a little up and down, but he's a pretty good free throw shooter. And and Jimmy, obviously, we know is a very good free throw shooter. Um, and and you know, on a per you know on a per possession basis, is always top three now in in getting to the line, right? So I feel like there is a benefit to them in, in slowing the pace. Um, and I think Jimmy's going to do that. And the three of them are gonna are gonna live at the line in the fourth quarter, and then that's gonna allow them to set up what should be a suffocating defense. I mean, we haven't even talked about the Oladipo factor yet. And, and that, you know, if that pans out in any way, 70% of, you know, what the highest hopes would be, you can throw a defensive lineup out there on the floor at the end of the game that is Lowry, <coughs> Oladipo, Butler, Bam, and Tucker. Um, nobody's scoring on that, <laughs> I don't think. So so I just think that they're 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 gonna they're gonna play to their strengths. I think their strength is their defense. I think it's setting their defense, and so their defense may create some easy opportunities on offense. But I and with you know maybe Tucker flying to the corner um, as much as he can fly these days, uh, and Hero and Robinson maybe out to the wings. But and Struess. But I think it's gonna be more you know early offense. But then also Jimmy Bam Kyle gets the line. Let's get some easy points that way. No, that I see that as well. Yeah, Kyle, you know, with the hit ahead passes, I mean, really started playing that way under Nick Nurse, where Toronto would always, especially after made buckets as well, mm-hmm. they would really try and push it up. But we'll see. I mean, that is not necessarily in the DNA of some of these guys. You know, Bam is a grab and go guy. Maybe that could could help push the pace a, a little mm-hmm. bit as well. But yeah. Tucker, Jimmy, you know, doesn't really seem like a transition guy. Having a shooter like Robinson is nice in transition yes. to take advantage when the the defense is in fact. Let's talk about Tyler here now, though, because mm-hmm. uh, he was the darling of the bubble. I during his first season, there was a lot of excitement about him. I thought that you know he was getting a little bit too much hype during that first season. Then he uh, more than lived up to that hype in the bubble. And I was like, all right, you know, is this just some hot shooting? Like, let's see, you know, having 30-point game against uh, the Celtics, you know, that maybe even won them that series. Uh, and then he really struggled uh, last year to the the point where uh, a certain podcast guest on this show, I think, even said during the, the offseason that you'd heard there was a 75% mm-hmm. chance that mm-hmm. he was traded out. 75% is not 100. He's obviously still, still here. But, but what led to the point where that was even something that you're hearing in the off season. Well, there are a couple of different things. I think one, I think you've hit on it I, to a certain degree. I think the, the expectations with Tyler are kind of swung wildly in both directions with overreactions. I, I think there was too much hype after the rookie season. And then I think there was too much criticism of him for his second season when his numbers were basically the same on a permanent basis. The, the one place that he fell off was the three point shooting, but his other numbers were actually a little better. Um, and actually some of his game play was a little bit better in terms of ball handling, et cetera. Now defensively, maybe not. Not so much, but but in uh, offensively. So I think that it got too negative on him last year from a fan perspective. Um, and I also think, well, like I said at the beginning, you have to take into consideration as a 20 to 21 year old kid. He's living in Miami. OK, uh, he's obviously got a social media presence. He has a social media uh, now girlfriend, now mother of his child. There's a lot of stuff that was going on. OK, and and uh, there were also some stuff going on behind the scenes, which is what was part of what led me to uh, to that report. Now, that report was not me just making a prediction. That report was talking to general managers, uh, executives, agents. Um, and I, whenever I said, you know, I, I you think he's going to be here now, he's not going to be here next year. I mean, that was the feeling that they were they were yeah. actively shopping him um, and that they were actively shopping him for a major piece. Now, as it turned out, so why is he back? Well, I think a couple of reasons. One, um, they didn't have to include him for Lowry, <laughs> uh, which uh, was something that was sort of out there before. Um, 
but also none of the other sort of major pieces like a Beal or a Lillard actually asked out, okay, or not right. publicly, right? So so I think some of the dominoes that we were kind of waiting to fall, and I think the Heat were waiting to fall, didn't end up falling because the, the Heat at this point, you know, are sort of, they their team building approach is basically like develop young guys to supplement the roster on cheap contracts, go for your whales when they're pissed off somewhere else. I mean, that has been essentially the Riley model since acquiring Zoe right after he got here uh, to grabbing Shaq, to grabbing LeBron, to grabbing Bosch. All people were not happy where they were, grabbing Hardaway, grabbing Mashburn out of Dallas. I mean, that, that's what <coughs> Pat, Jimmy, uh, you know, guys who are just not happy in their current environments, it's like, here, come here, we'll take care of you. This is the right place for you. Okay, and so right. those guys didn't end up uh, sort of asking out and, and really, I mean, legitimately Tyler is the piece. I mean, I, you know, we can talk about Duncan Robinson or whatever, but if you're another team and you're trying to sell a trade of your superstar getting, you know, a, a, you know, a photogenic, exciting, uh, you know, young basketball player who's capable of giving you 20 to 25 on a given night is the way to start selling it to your fan base. And so, uh, you know, if you're, if you're going to get that player when you don't have cap space, Tyler Hero is probably the guy that's got to go. Now, how does that play into this year? I think they've created a great scenario for Tyler, and it, it manifested itself in game one. First thing, one of the, their frustration last year with him that I reported was not focus in terms of, like I said, the Instagram stuff or any of that stuff. It was they wanted him to get stronger, and, and they didn't feel he was putting in the work in that area. Mm. Okay. And he clearly did this offseason. Like, if you look, I mean, he worked with Drew Hanlon. You look at him, he's, he's, he said he put on 10 pounds. I believe him. I, it's all in his legs. Okay. Uh, and so I think that, and, you know, he's above the rim a little bit more now. So I think their best case scenario with Tyler now is I think he's a six man of the year candidate. They've cleared one of the reasons they didn't re sign Kendrick Nunn, okay, is because they wanted to clear the path for Tyler to run the bench. So it's his bench, but he's also going to play a lot with Kyle. Um, and I, he's just going to be asked to basically do his thing. He's not going to be asked to do extra stuff this year. And it benefits them, but also it does. It, it is, I think, going to peak up his trade value. Um, because if you have a 21-year-old, 22-year-old six-man who's averaging 17 points a game, that's an interesting player for another team, you know. And so I, I think that there's a lot of things that 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 point to Tyler being a big part of this program. But there's a lot of things that point to Tyler being the piece that gets you the final piece for Pat Riley to try to get a championship before he finally retires. So, yeah, I think Tyler, he took a few steps forward last year that maybe he haven't really, at least based, not compared to the bubble, compared to his first season as far as getting to the rim a little bit more, finishing at the rim a little bit more. Uh, he increases assists per 36 minutes by about 50%. You know, that's something you need to get better at. Uh, now, he still doesn't get to the line at all. I think that's something that right. he's going to need to figure out if he's going to really be efficient enough to be a, a big score for these guys but i also think another thing that's going to really help him is that gordon Dragic has been traded for kyle lowry defensively i mean you really one of the big problems with the heat and like they did some great stuff in the bubble like they played that that three two zone where they would hide uh the two slow white guys on the in the corners so they were just kind of harder to attack but you know playing hero and Dragic together not to mention hero and Dragic and robinson together who were their three mm. best perimeter players last year you just couldn't do that yeah. defensively you couldn't get away with that and number one getting pj tucker in uh to play that four position which they didn't have for a lot of last year until they got a will help and then also having cal Lowry. so a lot of the time hero will probably be the, the only kind of smaller 
defensive liability or at least a guy with a target on his back on the floor. And you can even get away now with playing him some with Duncan Robinson. So have a little bit more space to operate maybe because they just have more defensive pieces around them when they're fully healthy. So I think that's something that will enable him to stay on the floor a a little bit more and not get attacked as much defensively, get some more help, uh, and then obviously getting stronger as well. Like you mentioned, working on his body. I thought that was a really interesting tidbit that that was kind of their their issue with him and and that he is, uh, has fixed that. But I mean, they're, they're not going to have enough to me offensively in the playoffs, you know, mm-hmm. unless he's going to be able to come through with some big games like he did in the bubble. No, I, I agree with you. And I actually think I, you know, I've said this, I think he's a dark horse candidate to lead them in scoring in terms of points per game this season. Cause I, I don't really see them having a 20 point scorer. I, I think best case scenario is that bam is that guy. Uh, but I think Jimmy's going to take a little bit of a scoring break this year. I, I, I think Kyle's going to be around 15. I think Duncan's going to be around 14 or 15. I can see Tyler leading the team in scoring at 18. If it's consistent enough, uh, 18 or 19, I, I, cause I, they've just cleared that role for him. Um, but your point about, the defense is right because one of my other co-hosts Alex Toledo has always said this I mean where the heat where things went sideways for the heat was when they would have to play three bad defenders at a time um you know they could get away with two uh but the, when they got to three and Dragic you know you needed Dragic out there so he was one of the three you, you you could those lineups were awful um that they played together defensively and so you know now I, I really they shouldn't have any scenarios where they have more than two kind of like you said defenders they have to cover up for and and most of the time I think they'll only have one um and like I said if, if they get to Oladipo back you know and he's anything close to what he was they may have none in certain lineups. Um, they may have five guys they can roll out there and say that's a plus defender. So I, I, I do think that a lot of things have been made easier for Tyler. Um, like I said, the organization has a vested interest in his success, not just for them, but you know, just looking at their roster. They are locked into Kyle Lowry at big money. They are locked into Jibby at big money. They are locked into Bam at big money. They're locked into Duncan on, on what I think is going to prove to be a reasonable contract. But he's not really somebody you want to trade because I you need a Duncan Robinson to make a Bam Jimmy team work offensively because it, you need someone who's going to space for them, particularly until Bam kind of develops uh, a little bit more range and is, is more confident with it. Because I don't really anticipate that Jimmy is going to be one of these guys that becomes you know even close to an average to knock down three point shooter later on. It's it's just never been his priority. Um, I know Dwayne gave it a shot late in his career, and then the numbers would always level off. I I, I don't I just don't think yeah, that the, the poor Charlotte Hornets. DNA. The poor Charlotte Hornets in 2016 are yeah, still poor, wondering poor how. Yeah, purple shirt guy, right? He, he got he yeah. got it going for for three games, and and you know everybody <laughs> remembers it now. But I mean, but, but but Dwayne always used to say that to me. I mean, LeBron would say that to me too. He says we're not shooters, we're shot makers. Um, Dwayne could make a three if you know if the moment struck him or the moment you know was so big that he rose to it. But but he was not a three point shooter. I don't see Jimmy even as good as you know, Dwayne from that range. So you're no. going to need shooting around them. And and I think what you said is right. I think there are lineups now they can play Hero and Robinson together because they'll have three strong defenders around them. There was one game in the Bucks series where he, he, I think he took a bunch of them early trying oh, yeah. to like loosen up the defense. And I was like, wow, they must really be getting desperate now. <laughs> like yeah. if he's willing it's, to actually take these. He took nine, I think, in one game. and we were That's like, right. That's and, right. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I, but I think the reason for that, it goes back to what I talked about at the beginning of the pod. Um, I, I just, I think he was just worn out. I, the three point shot was kind of a give up shot for him. Um, yeah. You know, whereas against the Lakers in the finals, 
everything was to the rim, right? Like everything, like he was throwing himself in there. I just don't think he had that. He couldn't summon that energy. I don't think it was just physical. I think it was just emotionally. He just, he couldn't. And he was a shell of himself. Really. It's the only time Jimmy's ever failed here in Miami in the first year. He's pretty much been perfect um, yeah. in terms of the, the way that he's interacted with the fans. His personality is Miami, very Miami. Um, and he, he has kind of, he's, I mean, it, you know, there, there are, there's stuff behind the scenes, of course, but I mean, you know, it's pretty much been a seamless fit. That's really the first, you know, saying you're stupidly locked in and then getting outscored by Bryn Forbes in the series is not great, but I, I feel like everybody's kind of given him a pass for it, understandably, because it's, I don't know what else people could have expected him to do in that calendar year. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I mean it, it was, you know, 39% true shooting for a series that yeah. is not too good. Um, no. Let's uh let's get into a little bit more of the overall fortunes that we expect here. So we got about 15 minutes left. Um, any uh, what do you think is the crunch timeline up to these guys? I think it'll just be the starters. Not necessarily. Um, I, I think uh, Kyle Jimmy Bam will be out there. I think PJ in most circumstances, not all. Um, but I think in most, it's that fifth spot that's interesting. Um, and I think it's going to come down to probably you know because we haven't really talked Depot yet, but until then, it's going to come down to Hero versus Robinson a lot of times. And I think when that's the case, uh, it's going to lean Hero most of the time because we've seen that you know even rookie in Tyler's rookie season, like Spo not only played him down the stretch, he literally gave him the whole fourth quarter for for weeks. <laughs> uh, I mean, where he played the entire fourth. Um, so there is a trust level there. Uh, that is interesting, considering you know some of Tyler's issues defensively. But I, yeah. I do think but, it's going to well, be well. Robinson's more might not, be not. even worse, right? Robinson's defensive issues might be even worse than here. Well, Maybe I that's why. Because it no. does. I agree with you, right? Like it does. It, it seems like Robinson, as good as he is, and as much stature as he's got in the league, and you know, really almost a generational shooter. Mm-hmm. Like it is very curious to me how few games he actually seems to end up closing for these guys. Well, part of it is, uh, and I asked him about that. I said, is it a goal of yours to finish? And he said, yes, you know, um, but I, I, he has become a better defender. I just don't yeah. think he's earned the officials respect yet. And that's, that's really his problem. And, and so I, that plays in at the end of games. I, I would say that's one of the reasons he gets hunted. I, I do think though, that everything else we've talked about, if they're going to have four strong defenders around him, you can afford a Duncan Robinson on the floor at the end of the game. I, because, and, and he, he does enough good things defensively that, uh, you know, he, he's not a major liability. I mean, Goron at the end was a major liability. I, I don't, I don't think that, Duncan is that, um, and, and he tends to be in the right place. Like I said, he just doesn't get calls. I mean, it's one of the jokes around the team that, you know, when is Duncan going to pick up his second, you know, Max Struess was on yeah. his podcast and was like, I know, you know, it's, it's my time and that's, what's going to happen this year or hero is going to come in for him. Uh, but I think that, that, that is, you know, what's going to be so fascinating here is that you can kind of, I mean, the rotations on this team, the closing, the starting are very clear. It, everything is very defined. Everything yeah. they, that Spolster rolled out in that first game, Jimmy was out, but everything else we predicted. I mean, there's nothing, there's no mystery about any of it because they have some dead roster spots with guys you know aren't going to play. I think what's interesting is when Oladipo comes back because, you know, if Tyler Hero has been given the bench the entire season to that point and then Depot, you have a former all-star coming back. How seamless is that, you know, with with Hero and Oladipo? It, it potentially is the best backup backcourt in the league. But but how seamless is it? Um, and then also down the stretch of games, well, maybe you, you say, well, Hero and, and Robinson were, you know, they were splitting that fifth spot the whole year. But Oladipo comes back. I mean, you know, Spoleen's defense, if, if, if Depot will defend, which he's done over the course of his career with some blips, then 
maybe he gets those minutes. Plus, the other thing about it is Oladipo, again, at 70 to 80% of himself, can create more than Duncan Robinson can create. So um, I, I just I think that is the real wild card this season, and that's why I keep saying I think this is a very good team. I think they're more of a playoff proposition than a regular season proposition Agreed. this year. Because I think they're a rest of us. But, Nate, I think Oladipo getting back, you know, where he's a contributing player for them on a consistent can make this a great team. I, I that that to me is the biggest wild card of all. What's your expectation for when he comes back? It's hard to say. Uh, there's always a lot of murkiness around him. Um, <laughs> that is true. Yeah, I mean, I a lot of it is because uh, the people who kind of go in and out around him. Um, and, yeah. you know, he changed this, representation recently, didn't he? He, I think he's changed it, and I, I don't want to. I think he. This is his third representation in the league. I may, I may be wrong about that, but it, it's been a lot. Okay, and. Um, and you tend to get different stories. I mean, I think, you know, we obviously saw it last year, you know, in Houston and some of the the, the water carrying that was being done by some of the national NBA writers for, for the Rockets on, you know, we're going to get a mid first round pick and a young player. And uh, like, oh, that ooh. that was batshit insane. Right. Right. Well, that's well, right. That that was water carrying being done. We know that. OK. And, you know, ultimately there were no offers. I mean, to the point that there were no offers that Pat knew that he could play the Lowry thing up to the very last minute before the trade deadline and still go back to the Rockets with 15 minutes left. OK. <laughs> and say here, Kelly Olenek, does that work for you? <laughs> I mean, think about that. Like you're talking about a former all-star. He was like the backup last minute choice, you know, by the heat to bring in, to kind of yeah. take a flyer. Well, on. well, I mean, he wasn't a positive player last year. I mean, no. I think that's, you know, you hope that he could be, be better, but I mean, he was, he is, was not, he's not good basically at any point since that surgery. And then, you know, we later find out that, you know, maybe that surgery wasn't uh, as well done as it could yes. have been, at least according to some of the reporting. Yes. And I think he's acknowledged that. And, and, you know, he's talked about, you know, we, we interviewed him the other day and he told me, I want to be one of the greatest comeback stories of all time. And, uh, you know, I, I think people are rooting for him. I, I will say that, you know, from, and I, I was around you know, the magic a little bit, his first couple seasons, cause I would go up and do some national reporting. He looks a lot bigger to me. I, I, I feel like he still needs the heat's conditioning program. Um, yeah. so it's going to be, well, well, that's what made him so good. Uh, he got into unbelievable shape that one all NBA yes. year that he had in Indiana and, uh, but but perhaps he's regressed there. Well, yeah, and I think it's natural with the injury. I mean, you're talking about a lot of downtime. I, so what I'm curious about is when you talk about when is he back, I mean, I think that he may be back. May, I, again, this is a guess based on talking to you know various folks. He may be like ready to go from an injury perspective, a recovery perspective in December, but I don't know that his conditioning is going to be where the heat's going to want it knowing the heat's standards on that until maybe three weeks to a month later. I, I think you've got to add some sure. time to it. I, I, I think the last thing that they want to do, and I think they want to do right by Vic too, because he came back on a minimum. I mean, he's, he's put his trust in them. Okay. And I'm not saying there were a lot of offers out there, but I mean, he's put his trust in them and he took a minimum contract and I give him credit. I mean, I, you know, as I said, I mean, you, you went from top to bottom. I mean, there's no, you can't go any lower contractually than where he's at now. And this was a player who was looking for maxes. Right. Um, and, and, you know, and now he's got to come back. And if he comes back, he's going to be coming off the bench and all the rest of this. When you're talking about, again, he was, he was a borderline all NBA player that one year. Um, but I, 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 so I give him credit. He's put his trust in them. And I think to a certain degree, that means, you know, they have to do right by him. And I don't think they'll throw him out on the floor if he's not in the right condition. Cause the last thing you want to happen is, you put him back out there and he gets hurt again. I mean, he 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 legitimately is one more like major injury away from probably not playing again. Um, so I I just feel like they will be patient. 
They will turn this thing over to Hero as much as they can, but it's going to be sitting there. And, you know, if you look at it this way, if they don't make a major move at the deadline, <laughs> which is less likely this year, again, unless a Lillard or somebody like that presents himself, then Oladipo essentially becomes their trade deadline acquisition. Um, you know, maybe, in, you know, if he's like ready to go, ready to go by late January, early February, uh, that's major. I mean, if, if he's right. And so I, I think they've timed this up right where they can be super competitive without him. But I do think that, I mean, if you can add a guy who has that skill set on both ends to this group, uh, that, that's a real X factor for them. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us yeah i mean my working expectation is just that he's a total wild card like i'm not counting on them getting anything from him mm. this year when you throw in just his overall availability the fact that he's been extremely conservative coming back from injuries although perhaps some of that was because he just didn't ever feel right a- after right. the surgery uh, and and that is a, a major injury obviously and you know then if he does come back you know he's been very aggressive as a shooter like can he play more of the role that they need him to uh focusing more on defense and three-point shooting which is probably really what they need they have other scores uh, on this team uh you know will he be able to hit shots which he hasn't really been able to do as well will he be able to finish at the rim which he hasn't really been able to do as well so i mean i'm not saying it's impossible but i i'm when i think of my projection for what these guys are going to be he doesn't figure into it significantly uh, for me personally he doesn't figure into it significantly in the regard that i think they have to count on him but he does because i sort of cap their upside at a certain point this year yeah and i think if he was to come back like i said 70 to 75 percent of what he was then i take a different look at this because I, I i do think he can provide some things they don't have i i think he gives them another uh player who can create off the dribble uh, he gives them another potential point of attack defender uh, who's a little more stout. Um, I, 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 so I do think there are some things, and, and there were even some things in the four games that he played for the Heat, as bad as he was overall from a shooting perspective, that you're like, wow, okay, they don't have that. Now, they have a little bit more of it with Lowry this year, um, and they really missed you know, having anything from anybody last year, really, except Dragic. 
uh, in terms of you know being able to create. Uh, but I, I do think that he can add. I really do. But you're right. I'm not counting on him. I don't. I don't think. I don't think that they're necessarily counting on him in that way. Um, but I just think that they're. I, I don't know. I think they're 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 kind of getting more and more optimistic about it. Um, and and I'll say this too. There have been some questions about Vic in terms of his commitment. I, I don't mean his commitment to to playing basketball necessarily, but just. You know, sometimes it, it has seemed to, you know, those I've talked to around the league that, that Vic has, you know, some other interests that kind of drive him away that maybe he's not the most team committed guy. We saw that in Indiana, obviously, where, you know, he, he seemed to be recruiting, you know, the heat to go get him during a series against the heat, uh, which which, uh, you know, at the time didn't go over very well with the heat front office. I can tell you because they don't like that kind of thing, even if it's for them, you know, even if it's yeah. to their benefit. Uh, but I will say this. Vic has been like when we went to scrimmage the other day, like Vic was the loudest guy on the bench jumping off, like, you know, uh, you know, rooting the reserves on. Uh, he's been in all these team activities. He's been he's been there. He's been present uh, in a way that I don't even know that he was, you know, uh, I don't think I was expecting at this point, I will say. So I think that's positive. Um, and, and I think he views this organization as an organization that if anybody's going to be able to help him get back to the level that he should be at, it's this one. Um, and, and I give him credit for the decision. I, it's not an easy decision, I think, to, to you know, just accept the minimum to come back to a place uh, where you had hoped to get a max. I, I think that is significant. Yeah, and I think also, uh, and last, last thing on him quickly before we talk about our projections for the season, but uh, because they have him on this minimum deal, they will have full bird rights on him yes. where they can yes. they can pay him basically whatever they want to subject to what their tax concerns are next year if he does perform. And, you know, I think so even if they're not necessarily going to get a lot from him this year, you know, it is in their best interest to rehabilitate him because, you know, they can re-sign him. Uh, and, you know, it's not like one of these situations where you sign a guy for a one-year minimum, and then mm-hmm. you rehabilitate him like Otto Porter with the Warriors this year, and then he can just leave somewhere else because you can't right. afford to pay him. They will have uh, the bird rights on him. Um, let's talk about the predictions now here. Mm-hmm. And part, the way I like to kind of do this is to go through where I think these guys are going to be uh, in terms uh, of offense and defense. And I, I think defensively, maybe not during the regular season, I think this is going to be a, a very good chance. I think defense is a little harder to project than offense. But uh, I think this could be one of the better playoff defenses that we've seen. They really have just about everything that you would want in a defensive group. Yeah, I mean, I think they're a top five defense in the regular season, too. Um, Yeah. I I think offensively is where the missed games are going to hurt them, because I do think they're going to rest some guys in the regular season. I think offensively that's going to hit them. But I think defensively they're going to be very, very good. Let's let's put it this way: Eric Spolstra has done a lot more with a lot less. Um, yeah. So so and and he's had a whole off season. And, and you know, let's just be straight. I mean, uh, you know, we can talk tampering, not tampering, whatever. I know that investigation still going. The reality is, you know, we as reporters have known for a year and a half that Kyle Lowry was probably going to end up with the heat. I mean, it was, it was, you know, it was, it was Jimmy's ambition and they were going to make Jimmy happy and he fits what they do anyway. And so it was, and he wanted to be here. So we knew all of this. I mean, again, tampering, no tampering when things actually happened, I'll let the league decide all that stuff. But we, we knew that there was a high likelihood that Kyle Lowry was going to be here. So, so Eric's known. Okay. And so th- there's been time to kind of figure out how this thing is going to look. And, and so I do think they're a top five defense. Um, they don't have a ton of shot blocking. I think that is, uh, you know, something bad. It's not really Bam's thing as much. 
I do yeah. think that, that some of what they have defensively is going to allow him to play a little closer to the rim at times, which should help that. I think it's going to help rebounding. I think that will be a much better rebounding team, particularly Bam, simply because of something I saw P.J. Tucker do the other day that I'm not used to seeing a Heat power forward do, which is box out. I, and and so I think Bam's going to grab a lot of rebounds because P.J. Tucker is actually properly boxing out his men. It's, uh, it's a great that, point, yeah. That, that is going to allow him to do that. I mean, it's difficult. Look, when you're playing next – and we can talk about Jay Crowder. And I, Jay, you know, P.J. is going to try to replicate a lot of the things that Jay did for them. Um, but even Jay <laughs> – P.J. does that better than P.J. does. And, you know – Trevor Reese is your starting for Kelly Olynyk is your starting for. I mean, you're pretty much putting Bam out on an island. I, he's not on an island anymore. So I, I think that is helpful. I think having a true backup center for the entire season. Dwayne Dedman was really good for them in his role last year, and and he should be better. He's 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 more recovered from his injury, and he fits what they do. He's and they they love him. I mean, so uh, I think they're going to be good. I think they're going to be good enough as a rebounding team. Uh, not great, but good enough. But I think they're going to be tremendous at the point of attack. I think they have the right players for Eric's schemes, the various ones he's used over the years. Um, I don't think they're going to have to zone up as much as they've zoned up in the past couple of years, which is not really something that the Heat have typically done, but it's become more of a Spolstra staple by necessity. I don't think it will be as much this year. So I, I'm with you, Nate. I think they're a top five. De- I think they're a top five defense regular season and playoffs. Yeah, and playoffs, I think they might – Right now, I'd project them to be the best playoff defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I mean, because I think switching is still the thing that works the best in the playoffs. And they mm-hmm. just have wonderful personnel uh, to do that with Bam at center. Lowry is just a, an absolute tank at the one. He's play, played in systems uh, like that. You know, Jimmy and Lowry are maybe the two best help guys at their position defensively. So if, even if you're a little small, even if you get into a bad matchup with someone like Duncan Robinson, like you're going to have some of the best help guys there as well you know i think they're going to do a pretty good job of walling off the rim better than they have uh because yeah right as you mentioned despite that block on jason tatum like bam is not like an unbelievable rim protector with his help instincts i think he's better uh, out on the floor like their defensive communication is going to be a lot better like one of the things i noticed is that when bam would switch out on guys previously he would just kind of get stuck there and now i think they're going to say no like we'll we're going to take more opportunities to switch back beyond the play like make sure that he's still in position so we don't get taken advantage of mm-hmm. you know Lowry boxing out uh, Tucker boxing out I mean they're, they're gonna be awesome my I think Tucker though is an interesting swing piece because I am worried about his offense and this is I mm-hmm. probably believe more in Tucker a, as a player than just about anyone else over the years going back to his Houston days but all he can do is stand in the corner and shoot threes like he can't shoot above the break right. the way Crowder could he can't screen for guys who come off a handoff and then pop out to the three-point line the way Crowder could and so uh, I think if they don't play PJ, you know, and they moved Butler to the four or something in the closing group when mm-hmm. Oladipo comes back, maybe I think they can actually be really good offensively. But then obviously that that compromises the defense to have Butler really the only kind of three or four size guy yeah. that you have there. But but what do you see? What do you see these guys ranking in, in offense? If you had um, to project it, I I, I think they're going to. I again, I think a lot of this comes down to pace. So I you know, but I think if you look at you know per possession, um, I could see them being in the twelve. Uh, to 15 range, maybe. Yeah. I, I think a, a lot of it comes down to ball movement, which was excellent in the first preseason game, even without Jimmy, and more maybe in, maybe in part because Jimmy wasn't there that, that there was you know, less of a re- <laughs> well less of a reliance on him. Um, but but I would say that uh, I mean they had 18 assists in the first half, and, and the ball was popping like it was popping pre bubble. That that's one of the funny things about you know their their whole bubble run was that. 
they really like kind of had like three different seasons that that early that season pre-covid they they were an offensive machine i mean eric had them humming and then they kind of hit a wall you know around the you know the all-star game and and that kind of where they they didn't play very well offensively for like a month and and they really really struggling they made the crowder and iguodala trades it was taking them some time to implement them uh and then you know then they had the COVID break and then they came back in the bubble and kind of got back to what they were earlier in the season like so uh i i do think that that their their ball movement uh could make them better off i think the other thing that's going to bail them out offensively a little bit is the free throw shooting i i think that uh their ability of their top three to get to the line but but more importantly uh to make the shots while they're at the line you know that adds a couple of two or three points there to the leisure so i I feel like um, I don't think they're going to be bad offensively. I think they're going to have bad nights offensively. I think there are going to be some nights, and it, it's a little bit reminiscent. I know age, you know, days gone by, but to to sort of the the late '90s Heat teams where they would go through some patches, they looked good, but then there would also be some games where it's like, man, how do they get an easy one? Um, and and I feel like we may have some games like that this year. Um, I, some of it comes as, down as to- long as they don't play the '90s Knicks. Uh, I, I can well, still tune in. Oh, if they played the nineties mix, I, I love that. I covered those courtside. I'll, I'll take more of that. Uh, <laughs> I had Michael Rappaport on the show to go over all that stuff. And he's still calling PJ Brown names. And I'm like, the PJ is my guy. Come on. Charlie Ward went at his legs. So, I mean, we've been debating that stuff for 20 plus years, but, <laughs> but, but, but look, I, I, I would say that uh, offensively, like I said, there's going to be some nights they struggle. A lot of it will come down to, you know, uh, you know, I Robinson's going to shoot the ball well. I, a lot of it's going to come down to Hero and Struess. Uh, I think yeah. being able to spread. Uh, if they get good shooting out of those two guys, then they do have enough shooting. Um, and I think the other thing that's interesting again until Oladipo is back is they've kind of turned over back a point guard to Gabe Vincent, and he's done everything well at this level except the one thing they signed him to do, which was which shoot. shoot. Yeah. And so if he could get, he's looked much more comfortable. It's He made an adjustment to his shot a couple of years ago, and I think it's taken some time. He's talked about that. If he can even get to 34 to 35% from three, um, then they have another, I think that will help them a lot too. So I think it's going to come down to shooting. I don't think they're going to be a bottom five offensive team or anything, but I also don't think they're going to be elite. I, I think somewhere in that 12 to 15 space. Yeah, I've got them a little lower than that. I've kind of got them in the there's a bunch of offenses that I kind of have in in the same tier as maybe they can get better during during the regular or during the playoffs when you've got Lowry and Butler playing more minutes than I would expect them to play this year. But, you know, I I mean, I think I've got like, you know, Chicago, the Clippers, Atlanta in like my 11 to 13 range. I think they'll be a little bit below there. Um, You know, now if PJ plays less, they're probably uh, worse on defense and better Mm -hmm. on offense. You know, we'll see. You already have this grin trade but he's back at practice so hopefully nothing major there so far and he's usually been pretty durable so yeah i think it'll be a little bit lower than that um so let's uh let's get into wins how many wins do you think they're gonna have and then what do you think their ultimate fate in the playoffs will be um i have them around 49 to 50 um i think um you know i i it's interesting. I, I a lot of it to me again depends on how Eric wants to deploy the roster and what the ultimate end game is here. I, I think that there's a there's a delicate balance that you don't want to burn out. They've got some inexperience, you know, with with you know some of the players in the rotation, and then on the other end they've got some age. Um, and so with the inexperience, I think you know there's inconsistency. With age, you know, there's injuries. 
Uh, and so I, I think that those things are going to have to be sort of very carefully monitored, monitored by Eric through the season. I think there will be some games that Kyle sits. There'll be some games that Jimmy sits, that PJ sits. I, I don't think you can see a bunch of guys playing 75 plus games, particularly the older players on BAM will, but I, I provide, you know, barring, you know, uh, you know, something unforeseen, but I don't think a lot of the others will. So again, I think a lot of it just depends on how much uh, Eric plays a lot of these guys. Um, so I, I, that's why I'm reluctant to go over 50. Uh, I think that, um, there may be a team, uh, again, that goes through some struggles offensively, uh, that are frustrating and, and this, they'll have a couple of bad spells as a result of that, but I could see them in that 49 to 50 range. I know Vegas mostly has about 48 and a half. I, I think that's fair. Um, where does that put you in the East? Probably third. Uh, yeah, th- I, that's the big question to me. Yeah. I could I could see them between third and fifth. I I, I think that uh, to me there are two teams. Obviously, we know Kyrie's situation, but as long as Durant is there, there, there are two teams that that are you know I think head and tails above the others in the East. But then I think you have Miami, you've got Atlanta. Uh, I'm curious to see what the Boston sort of reshaping looks like. Um, I don't believe in the Knicks. I, I don't have them in that mix. I, I think they're yeah. I think they're a tier below. I think they overachieve. I like their talent better this year, but I think they overachieved to a significant degree last year. Um, and and I and I think you know there you know Chicago is a wild card. I, I don't know that it's all going to come together that quickly. Uh, Charlotte, I, I like their future, and I think Toronto uh, is going to be better than people anticipate. But but I can't see Miami as worse than fifth. I I, I think they're third to fifth, uh, and then I haven't even mentioned Philly, which I think by default is in that group, but we don't know what they're going to look like. So I, I have them between third and fifth. I, I think that the Heat will prioritize home court maybe more than they did last year with the fans back and everything like that. But uh, I don't think they'll push it too hard. And and I wouldn't be stunned if they end up, I mean, two years ago, they were a five seed. I mean, they didn't care about the four seed because it was in the bubbles. So they kind of handed a game to Indiana, but like, you know, they were a five seed and they got to the finals. I, I don't think they're afraid of seeding. So, uh, I, so I, I think they're in that three to five mix. It wouldn't stun me if they're fourth or fifth. Yeah. I mean, to me, you know, if you're going to assume that Milwaukee and Brooklyn are going to be the top two, uh, then it's just about not getting below six, not right. being in the playing game as well, and maybe being a couple games below that so you don't have to push really hard until the end of the season. Um, you know, you could probably throw Indiana in that mix of, of mm-hmm. teams you're talking about. But, yeah, yeah I mean, because you know, I don't know if they care that much about, about home court. You know, it would be nice to be top four. Uh, but, you know, you're probably going to have to play both of uh, Brooklyn and Milwaukee and, you know, I don't think they're that – whoever the three seed is, I don't think they're scared of Boston or Atlanta no. No. or, you know, whoever that, that ends up being if it is someone that's a, above them. So, yeah, I think really just not uh, getting stuck in the potential play-in mix, like that's really kind of all that matters to me for the regular season. Now, if you have Milwaukee potentially dropping to the three seed or, or Brooklyn dropping to the three seed, they have like some injuries or something, then maybe you start to worry more about the matchups. But – uh so I, I'm going to go with 47 wins for this group, and okay. I think I'm going to still predict a second round loss. Although with the caveat that these guys could really cause problems for a team. I mean, I think defensively they can match up pretty well with Brooklyn, uh, maybe better than just about anybody else that we've seen mm-hmm. o- over these couple of years. Um, so I, I do have a lot of respect for what this team can be defensively to the point where I do think they'll they're going to at least be in any series against just about anybody, even if they don't ultimately have the offensive firepower to, to win. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and, and like I said, I think they're in that mix. I, I, I don't, I don't think this is going to be a, um, 
Again, barring major injury to one of their top three, I I, I don't think this is going to be one of those experiments that like flat out fails. I, I we've seen some of those. I, I don't I don't see that, but I also uh, I also think it's a team that has you know some limitations. Uh, now, if they get a pop from you know a couple of these guys who've been two ways in recent years, uh, you know, like a Struess, uh, you know, that really, you know, blow out the bench. If they get Oladipo back, if they get, there, there are things that could make them better uh, than, than, than maybe we're anticipating. But, but I think so much of it uh, does come down to, uh, you know, bam, I, I just, I just feel like, you know, what is he, right? Is, is he just going to be like the league's best complimentary player <laughs> going yeah. forward? Or, or is he a legitimate superstar? Like, can he be that? And there are some inside the heat organization who believe that the only thing stopping him from being that is himself. So, you know, I, I tend to trust their evaluation of these things. Uh, so I, I just want to see it. I want to see, can they bring the alpha out? Because I think if they can bring the alpha out of him, uh, and transition this team somewhat from Jimmy to him, then then their upside becomes greater. So I, I feel like there are some things that could make this a, a better season uh, otherwise. And then there's always, you know, the looming possibility of the trade deadline with Riley. Although, you know, like I said, they really, other than Tyler Hero, it, they just don't have a ton of assets to move. So I, I feel like this is going to be their team this season. All right. Well, this was awesome having you on. Uh, sorry we went a little bit long here, sure. but uh, you had a, a lot of great uh insider tidbits many of which i i had not heard before uh, myself so i i really appreciate that uh his podcast is five on the floor at the uh five reasons sports network down in south florida ethan skolnick thanks again for joining us appreciate it nate thanks thanks again anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a show room rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Well, it is apparently big market day. Here on Dunkdown, we had the Lakers with Jovan Buha earlier today. And now joining us, first-time guest, covers the Chicago Bulls for NBC Sports Chicago and also the Bulls Talk podcast with uh, Casey Johnson and Jason Goff, which I'm a regular listener of. Rob Schaefer, how are you? Good, Nate. Thanks uh, Thanks again for having me. Uh, this should be this should be fun. Um, you know, I, I think we're going to get into a lot of the questions and things that are clouding over the bulls right now but at the very least they should be a little bit more interesting than they've been for the last few years so uh look at looking forward to digging into it yeah let's do that and i think the place to start is with what this team was a year ago obviously extremely disappointing to not even make the play in 
after the Vucevic trade. Big part of that was because Zach Levine got COVID in between his two vaccine doses. And that was a, a real struggle for them without him. But what were your takeaways from the times that these guys were able to play it together? Obviously, there's been a, a big makeover even since then. But just in the period when we actually had Vucevic and Levine healthy and together last year, what did you make of it? Yeah, offensively, I think they were starting to get there. There was some budding pick-and-roll chemistry, which I think was uh, billed as as a big part of what was going to make them a lucrative offensive pairing. Um, so that that's one thing that I think you could look at as a positive. But even Zach going on the COVID list, you know, the game before um, he kind of went under that designation, they took a pretty uh, convincing home loss to the Orlando Magic. Uh, Wendell Carter Jr. came back to the United Center and balled out. I mean – when you look at the holistic view of the team post deadline, I don't even think that they were that close to figuring it out when Zach went down. Um, so it, they, they certainly had a lot of holes to plug this off season, which as you alluded to, they, they did, or at least they they've, they've tried to stylistically. I think they just really, really struggled trying to integrate Vooch in on the fly. Um, you know, Billy at the end of the season and really throughout the second half talked about a lack of practice time um, in, in terms of getting everybody on the same page uh, this this was a team that flashed, I think, some pretty interesting offensive potential towards the beginning of the year. We're playing fast. We're eighth in pace before the deadline and then went down to 25th after mm-hmm. as they became a really post-up heavy team trying to play through Vooch a lot more. And, you know, that had its moments, but it's just, as I'm sure you'll agree, it's just hard to build an efficient NBA offense in this day and age around that action unless you're, you know, the the Sixers and you have Joel Embiid or you're the Nuggets and you have Nikola Jokic. So, I, I hope that they've spent the offseason, and I know from listening to Billy that they have, reflecting on what went wrong in terms of game planning offensively after the deadline and that um, coming into this season, they have a little bit more of a, a fully formed game plan because some of the buttons that they pushed post-deadline, I mean, playing Tyson Vucevic together, I think it was the best option they had, uh, but they were just a little bit too big, a little bit too slow, and I think they got away from a lot of the things that made them successful early in the year despite the talent upgrade. Um, so it'll be interesting now with the onus – Still on Zach and Vooch, but you also have a guy in DeMar DeRozan. You have a guy in Lonzo Ball. You, you have a little bit more in terms of uh, offensive firepower around them. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see. But certainly, to your point, at the end of last season was massively disappointing, uh, especially because beginning of last season, they were one of the youngest teams in the league. Pretty much every point of success or good feeling that they had was was playing with house money because of how young they were and because the new front office was still evaluating the roster. Now they've put themselves in a situation where they've invested a ton of draft capital and salary in making a massive, massive spike in the standings this year. And uh, I'll I'll be very interested to see how they could do it because as much as there's some cause for optimism, there's also um, questions to be be asked and answered as well. Yeah, and obviously some of those questions uh, are defensive, and we'll dig deeper into that with the the current team. But one thing that has been pointed out is that with Vucevic on the floor, they actually weren't that bad defensively. A year ago, uh, you know, Casey had a stat which I thought was an interesting one that I think a Billy Donovan defense has never ranked lower than I think the twelfth that the Bulls were last year overall. Obviously, you know whether you go with cleaning the glass or NBA.com changes that a little bit, but you know they were certainly better than a lot of people would have expected given their personnel a year ago. So, do you take anything away from the way they defended with Vucevic uh, statistically? Uh, or, or, you know, is that kind of a, an aberration and, and they are 
you think they may re- revert back, you know, particularly with some of the additions that they've made to, uh, you know, maybe not being that great defensively this year. Yeah, I think the point of, of Billy Donovan coach teams never being below. Yeah, I think before last year it was 11th and he, he had a he had a top five defense or two in Oklahoma City with with personnel that was never seen consistent year over year. I think that's something that Bulls fans could take heart in um, because I think this team really to, to reach the heights they want to are going to have to scratch and claw their way to being near league average, if not slightly below last year. Yeah. To your point, they finished 12th. So that's slightly above. I, I mean, they're in pick and roll coverage. They're a drop team to me. Uh, they were for a lot of last year. And the, the benefit of that was I think shot profile wise, they weren't that far off where you want to be. They did force a lot of mid range looks. They did limit uh, opponents corner threes at, at a reasonable rate. The problem was, and Billy harped on this all last year, and I mean, there are more issues, but I think this was really the defining issue of of their um, uh, of the Bulls' 2021 season defensively, was the point of attack defense, the, the defense at the point of screens. Guys just couldn't get over screens really to save yeah. their life at times. Garrett Temple was was one of the only guys, and he was playing a more limited role as a vet, you know, 25 minutes a game or so. Um, that really, really killed them, and you can force as many mid-range jumpers as you want, but the level of clean looks that opponents were getting, uh, I believe, and this is per cleaning glass, um, that the, the the Bulls, they forced a decent amount of mid-range jumpers, but let me see if I can find this here. Yeah, in terms of accuracy, they were given up 47.3% shooting on long mid-range jumpers. That's dead last in the league. And as much as, as, much as in, in general, that's a, a low efficiency shot when looks are clean enough, it, it can still kill you on a game-to-game basis. So I, I'd expect more of that this year. They might be a little bit more versatile with some of the wings and forwards that they brought in. Um, but with Vooch at the back line, I'd expect them to still be drop heavy. Um, and if they can execute it with a little bit of improved point of attack defense with Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball, I think there's a case to be made that they could approach league average um, and get to a point near where they were last season. I wouldn't call it an aberration necessarily, uh, but I still do see a ceiling on them on the defensive end of the floor, even if everything goes right. Uh, especially if they make it, you know, into the playoffs, just from a scheme versatility perspective, I think it could be a little bit of a challenge. But th- again, there's reason for optimism, but there's a lot of unknown variables there, especially at the four spot, that are going to uh, play a large part in determining that. Yeah, and I think that also the number is just uh, there's some fluky shooting stuff uh, with Vucevic out there uh, as well, and, and and I don't think the numbers with him on the floor even. I think it was more. Just that the number actually no, I remember what it is now. Is that yeah, with him on the floor, the numbers really weren't that good. It was just the overall defense after he arrived uh, yeah. was was pretty decent. Um, but let's get into this year's team now. And they add Lonzo Ball, they add Demar Derozan, they've added Derek Jones Jr. Uh, you know, those are probably the three guys. Uh, I guess you could say Tony Bradley as well. The four guys that are probably going to be newcomers in the rotation. Um, how are these guys all going to fit in? Let's start with DeRozan. Yeah, so DeRozan, I think they have to hope, is going to address a lot of the low-hanging fruit offensively that kind of tripped them up last year. Um, you know, it just the 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 evolution of DeRozan at this point, I think, is pretty fascinating to study. And if you just break down these these little areas of his game that weren't always a strength but now have become one, I, I think there are a couple areas he could really help them. One, foul drawing. I mean, he got to the line 7.2 times a game last year uh, really excelled there. This Bulls team uh, took 17 and a half free throw attempts a game as a team. Uh, that was 30th. Um, they were also dead last in free throw attempt rate. Uh, I think Zach was first with just over five attempts a game. And other than Wendell Carter Jr., who was traded midseason, everybody else was pretty much two or below. 
Um, so that's that's a piece of low-hanging fruit I think DeMar can address uh, if they put the ball in his hands as a half-court playmaker primarily, um, which I, I think I expect them to do. I think it's the best idea uh, because, you know, you can really maximize spacing around him. Um, his ability to get downhill is something that this team was lacking outside of Zach Levine last year and get to the rim. So uh, I, I think he'll help them in that area. Uh, he'll help them from a playmaking perspective. Obviously, last year, career high in assists. That's been well-documented. Um, always been a low turnover guy. That was a real, real issue that plagued these Bulls last year was uh, was turnovers. They were 27th in the NBA in turnover rate. Uh, gave up a ton of points off of turnovers. I believe they were 2017, or uh, sorry, 27th in that category as well. That hurts them in transition. It hurts them defensively. Um, and it hurt them in crunch time. I mean, you know, anybody who followed this Bulls team last year, I could rattle off any number of games that, you know, they just seemingly gave away oh, yeah. um, large advantages late in games. A lot of those are, you know, turnover-laden losses, boneheaded mistake-laden losses. Uh, I think just having another option alongside Zach Levine, who is, you know, as great as he is offensively and as many strides as he's taken, is still, even at his peak, a high turnover guy. Having a guy into Rosen who can shoulder a lot of that load, stagger with him, mitigate some of the stagnant stretches when he's off the floor, um, and give them just another weapon in crunch time, I think, is um, is really, really massively going to help them. Uh, now, you know, notably – most of the uh, positives that the Rosen brings are on the offensive end of the floor. He doesn't do much to assuage the defensive concerns. Um, but, you know, at the three or four, um, if they can cobble together enough of a group effort defensively, I think you have to hope that his inclusion paired with Zach, paired with Vooch, paired with Lonzo, who I can get to in a second, you have to hope that that's going to drag them up into the top 10 um, of the league offensively. And that at the very least, you can always have a, a pretty reliable scoring threat. He's still a terrific isolation scorer at this stage of his career, obviously. Um, you, you just have to hope that offensively he brings enough to offset, you know, where he might take away in, in, in other respects. Yeah. And you mentioned the Vucevic posts up and that they tried to go to him a lot. You'll see that a lot of times too, when, when new guys get acquired, they really try to feature them, like make them feel comfortable. And, you know, Vucevic never gets to the foul line in those post-ups. You know, it's kind yep. of more, I think of a late clock thing to me, particularly now that they've gotten to Rosen using Vucevic as a facilitator through the elbows and then handing off and then popping out uh, or maybe screening for Zach Levine out of the corner the way he used to do with Evan Fournier in -hmm. Orlando. You know, I think Levine could be devastating on those wide pin down type of plays. And then if you have to, the big has to help on Levine, then Vooch is popping out for that left wing three. Uh, You know, that's the way I'd like to see Vucevic used. Uh, You know, I think since DeRozan is a good driver uh, as well, that, you can use Vucevic screening with him. I think they would be a, a nice tandem. You know, DeRozan hasn't really played with that kind of a pick and roll player much in his career, a guy who can pop like that. So, you know, DeRozan usually has a nice size advantage on whoever's guarding him. It, uh, presumably the best guy on the other teams be guarding Levine. And so DeRozan, one of the things about him is that he just kills bad defense. Um, and especially if he has a size advantage, you know, he can get that screen from Vooch. You know, maybe he's not turning the corner, but he can kind of use that to meander into the lane. Vooch pops out, and now DeRozan has that size advantage at the rim. He can get fouled, or he can kick out for some three-pointers. So I think there are a lot of ways that you can use DeRozan pretty well with Vucevic there. I feel much better offensively about the DeRozan addition because they have Vooch, you know, as long as they're just not trying to post up Vooch all yeah. the time just against the other team center or whatever. Um, so I, I think this team in the half court, you know, they have probably adequate shooting around those three guys. I, I think they can look pretty good uh, on the offensive end. 
Yeah, and what's also interesting is something that Billy's been talking about in training camp is using Vooch as a trailer in transition to because they want to play faster. Now, I I think that's something where I want to wait and see because that's, you know, it's just never been Vooch's style. Yeah. Um, but but Lonzo Ball is a guy that we could we could talk about. He's yeah. they're really really going to rely on him a lot to push pace to kick ahead, um, even if it's not always directly to assists, hockey assists, and things like that. Um, he's going to be really really instrumental. He's always going he's also going to probably be instrumental on the glass because of the size deficit that the, this team might be at uh, up front. They've they've mentioned you know liking the fact that they have uh, an array of good rebounding guards and wings between Lonzo between Zach. Uh, between Patrick Williams, between, uh, you know, any number of guys. So um, I, I think that would be another interesting area to see if Vooch can do that. You're 100% right, though. The the pick and roll combination between either um, DeRozan uh, or Zach uh, for Vooch's popping ability, if if the shooting holds up from, from last year at a rate yeah. um, near where he was, um, that could be devastating. The playmaking aspect of it could be devastating. But uh, Lonzo, I'm curious your thoughts on Lonzo, too, because he's one of the more uh, intriguing pieces to me to see how he fits because I know he probably has designs of playing more of a traditional point guard half court creator type of role obviously that's not how he was used alongside Zion last year in New Orleans and I actually thought uh or I actually think the the, the way that he played last year in New Orleans has a, a good amount of utility especially for a team like the Bulls if he can shoot in the high 30s from three-point range on good volume um space the floor uh, obviously be um long versatile physical defensively they, they want him to do that and get into guys and 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 force turnovers attack the glass and create transition opportunities um but but I'm curious because I think with DeRozan on the floor because I because I struggle to see you know maybe he'll reinvent this area of his game too but off the ball I just wonder what he'll do when he doesn't have the ball in his hands uh, I'm just curious to see how a guy like Lonzo fits in alongside him and alongside Zach um you know just just based on what he's talked about in training camp um you know, what he sees for himself in his NBA career versus what he's done so far. Um, I'll, I'll just, I'll just be fascinated to see him because theoretically he's just another, you know, versatile ball handler type that can space the floor there. There, the, the fit appears to be neat there. Uh, but I'll be curious to see if they're able to play at his pace as consistently as they want to and what type of, you know, half court role he's going to have and um, how satisfied he'll be with that and how, how much um, the team can, um, can can make those guys all coalesce together. Yeah, you know, to me, the signing made sense because they've got Levine, they've got DeMar DeRozan, those guys are going to handle the ball. You know, Vooch uh, posting up or actions involving Vooch going to be a big part of it. Gonna, he can go through him in the half court, making backdoor passes and handoffs and stuff like that. Uh, and I was like, oh, well, this is perfect. Like He, he can sign to do the same role that he had in New Orleans, hit some threes in the half court push the pace, but, you know, probably not going to run through him that much. But then, of course, the party line has been early on. You guys talked about this uh, on Bulls Talk last week that, oh, no, he's going to play more of a pure point guard role than he has. Like, wh- when they talk about that, they elaborate it all on, like, kind of what they mean there. Because to me, I, you know, you're going to put it in, the, in his hands for some pick and rolls. Like, that doesn't really make a ton of sense to me. Is that what they mean or they mean something else? I, I think we're going to have to see it in practice, and that's why the – the, the first preseason games will be fascinating. Those obviously won't be the be-all, end-all in terms of answers. Uh, regular season will be interesting to watch, too, because, no, I mean, even when press, like, there hasn't been a ton of elaboration. I'm sure they don't want to show their hand. But, you know, when I talk about struggles getting to the free-throw line or struggles with offensive stagnation, it doesn't seem like putting the ball in Lonzo's hands in a half-court setting um, helps you there as much as 
DeRozan with Lonzo spacing. I, I, so I, I agree with you. I envisioned him as New Orleans Lonzo from last year and slotting in perfectly. I mean, really tidily. Um, but then listening to him, what, what he's really Lonzo been um, clear about is that he, he's not a boat rocker, Lonzo. So I don't, I don't think he would say anything about being dissatisfied with the way that he was used in New Orleans last year. But he did say that it was a little bit unfamiliar and that he was looking forward to in Chicago, getting back to a little bit more um, of kind of what makes him him. That's been kind of the abstract way it's been yeah. referenced. So there's, you know, who knows how it'll play out in the half court. I think the way that I've envisioned it working out the best, and I, you know, I'm not the basketball mind that anybody in the, in the Bulls front office or coaching staff is. So it'll be interesting to see what they decide. But, you know, if he's able to channel that through sparking transition and fast break opportunities, I think that's probably the way that I can envision it most efficiently. Um, you know, him being utilized in, in terms of creating and having the ball in his hands and then in half court being more of a connector. Um, but we'll just have to see. I think I, I think it's sneakily one of the more pressing questions facing this team because there's I, I can close my eyes and I can really, really envision it humming offensively um, with, you know, the ball primarily in DeMar DeRozan's hands. And like we were talking about various different actions with Vooch and Zach off the ball it is really, really, really devastating catch and shoot wise and cutting wise. Um, but the Lonzo question will be will be a sneaky big one to uh, to see how it plays out. Yeah, I think I would like to see Lonzo play on a second unit. You know, I would love yeah. to see Lonzo, Caruso, Levine maybe playing some three against teams on the second unit that don't have like a threat that you're really that worried about. Derek Jones Jr. and maybe Tony Bradley as a unit that just is going to get up and down and run. Mm-hmm. On the second unit, maybe you can get more out of Lonzo there. You know, DeRozan, not really a guy who runs that much at this point in his career. I mean, I think he could if they really try to get him to do it. And, and the idea of Vooch as a trailer, I think that can be that can be useful because when you've got DeRozan and you've got Zach Levine and you know, Patrick Williams or Derek Jones Jr., those guys able to put pressure on the rim and transition, the only way you're going to stop those guys is if your center is back to protect the rim and then you can throw it back to Vooch to, to hit a three and it's not... It's not that hard to jog three-point line to three-point line if you need to. So all that, I, I think there are combinations that can work. But this idea, because, you know, it's interesting. Lonzo, I mean, I guess he averaged an assist fewer per game last year than he did. But, you know, he averaged a career high in scoring. He was taking eight threes a game last year. You know, I think the Bulls would be very happy if he's doing that again this year and hitting that 38% that he did last year. You know, we'll see if that shooting improvement is real. But he's been 38% the last two years, so you hope that it is. Um so yeah, I, it's it's really interesting to me. I guess let's just talk about how the defense overall is going to look on this team now. They're going to be starting DeRozan at the three. Patrick Williams hopefully will be back for the start of the regular season. Uh, you, you got that clarified from the team that it actually happened uh, on September 15th, and it was uh, four to six weeks from then. By the way, the first time that a team has ever publicly been more pessimistic than required about an injury that they it was that was a little it was a little confounding it was a little yeah. confounding that, that they didn't clarify that so you, you kind of like did them a favor to like remind everyone <laughs> no he might he might actually be back uh so but you know we, we'll assume he's he's going to be around to start the season you know you've kind of got actually maybe we can start here zach levine you know stuff no has been saying zach levine's gotten better defensively do, do you agree with that because i think he's kind of a swing piece here lonzo is fine Patrick Williams, they hope is going to be good. Although I think you know, relying on him to be this massive stopper, both on and off the ball, is asking a lot of a twenty-year-old. Uh, but Levine, you know, if he could be at least solid defensively, then you only kind of have two liabilities instead of three. So where is he at uh, defensively now, in your opinion? 
I I believe there's a, a, a chance at solid, um, you know, impactful all defense level, which, which is a stated uh, uh, aspiration of Zach's. I, I'm not sure about that, but I think, you know, you saw it a little bit just awareness wise. Obviously he has the athleticism to do it. I, I think you saw awareness wise, it get a little bit better over the course of last season. I, I think I was particularly encouraged in the Olympics. You saw him in a role where, you know, he was obviously full court pressing. He was really getting into opposing guards, kind of smaller ball handlers. And I, I, that's not a role defensively that he had been in a ton, or at least that I'd seen in the NBA. And I, I saw little encouraging flashes there. I think he's better suited there than taking on bigger wings, uh, which we saw him um, do a, a little bit for the Bulls last year. So I, I buy solid. I also buy solid because of the aspect of this where, I mean, Zach's never really had this much help offensively in his career at any stage of his career. Uh, and I buy the notion that with some of the energy that he might conserve when, where, you know, he's not being asked to face double and triple teams down the stretch of games, um, when he's able to sit and not watch leads melt away or deficits increase um, exponentially because you can run offense through uh, DeRozan and Vucevic staggered off him. You could run offense um, around or through Lonzo Ball and Vucevic, you know, there, 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 there are more combinations and ways to, you know, conserve his energy this year than I think he's certainly faced uh, in his Bulls tenure. So I, I buy that that energy can be expended wisely because, you know, desire or, or want to has never been a problem with Zach. It's more been uh, applying and, uh, you know, the, the conditioning level, not to say that he's not in the shape to do it, but just being sharp enough at all times to be that consistent two-way presence. I think impactful would probably be a stretch for him, but solid, I could see him getting there. I could see him certainly getting above the level of liability. I think he was above the level of liability last year, uh, to be honest, at least individually. It's just about making it work in a team concept. But you're right. He is a huge swing piece because um, DeRozan, you know, you you could argue that he is what he is at this point of his NBA NBA career. Patrick Williams, I agree. It's a lot to put on him as a 20-year-old. I think he'll get better. I mean, He's at the four. I think he's a little bit better suited to kind of be a help side rim protector type, um, kind of cleaning up mistakes, being in passing lanes and things like that than necessarily being an on ball stopper of the, you know, any superstar in the NBA ilk. Like he was, he was guarding Giannis. He was guarding LeBron. He was guarding, but he especially ran into trouble with like a couple that stand out the Devin Bookers or the Shea Gilgis Alexanders of the world. I, I think it was pretty clear by the end of last year that, the four position, if he can hold up size-wise and physicality-wise, which, again, a question for a 20-year-old, um, I think he could be better suited defensively there. Uh, certainly, I think he could be better suited offensively there. Um, but Zach is a major swing piece. The 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 one encouraging thing is that I think the point of attack defense with a guy like Caruso in, um, who I, I think could be a sneaky key addition, they certainly gave him um, a contract that would indicate that they view him as uh, a guy who's going to you know play a considerable role. Um, I think that will help having a guy having guys kind of at either end of the rotation that will um, be able to flank him and help out. I I think he can get to above the liability line um, or solid line. Now, uh, you know, we'll see, we'll, we'll see what that exactly means, but you know, he's still Zach. That is, he's still 26. He's still, you know, the, the level of improvement being somewhat linear on that end, even if he's not where he wants to be yet, you know, gives me reason to believe that he could at least uh, become passable there. So um, Steph has Steph has all types of film breakdowns and things like that that I um, that that I would direct people to for for the nitty nitty gritty of Zach, but um, all of that's a, a long way of saying that I, I'm definitely a believer in in solid being possible, uh, possible in reality, 
um, are two different things, but you know, at least at the start of the season, I, I could see it. I, I could see a world where it happens. At bet three, six, five, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, I mean, and they're just, there's a lot of challenges for them, obviously. And, you know, Zach, it wasn't always so much his on-ball effort. He was never great at getting over screens. I think he's improved there. Yeah. Uh, but it was more just, you know, what happens when he's on the weak side as far as like getting back up when he turns his head, closing out to the wrong guy, uh, you know, not crashing into the paint when he needs to uh, from the weak side. You know, those were sort of more the things that he struggled with. And I think he's, we've seen incremental improvement with. I mean, last year was, I think, the first above average defense. Well, no, actually the Boylan team. <laughs> the hilarious Boylan <laughs> they, team. They, scra- they scratched and clawed and yeah. blitzed their way up there too. Yeah. But to, it, it to wasn't point- exactly like, you know, because Zach Levine was like staying solid and executing that those those that, that was one of the more hilarious statistically uh good defenses that that we've seen um but but getting back to the overall challenges I mean you know you, you, it starts to me even more so with the perimeter than with Vooch Vooch is limited you know he's he's probably not quick enough to get out on the perimeter he, he's you know they crafted good defenses around him in that drop coverage in Orlando but you know they had a Jonathan Isaac and they had Aaron Gordon there. You know, the, this team doesn't have those type of guys. And, you know, you can play him in a drop coverage, but you also, like much like with Nikola Jokic, you can't give guys a runway to go at him, right? Like, like it's not like he's going to stand under the basket the way some guys can, you know, like in a Vicha Zubac type where, okay, yeah, you might give up the mid-ranger, but if you try and get in the lane and score on this guy at the rim, that's not going to work. No, if you get a runway at him, then the guys are going to just go right around him and score on him right at the basket. So you really you have to drop him back, but you also need to protect him in that drop coverage. And really the only way to do that is by bringing in help from the wings. And now you look at the idea that Patrick Williams is going to have to guard you know the best wing player on the other team every night. And you know that he's going to be the four. He's not playing with Daniel Tice necessarily back there as well. And so you mentioned his ability as a supplemental rim protector, but you know, if he's guarding Jason Tatum, how much of that is he going to be able to do to both help and stay on a, a guy like that? Like that is asking just so much. It's a good point. Him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then with, then you think, so, so you've kind of got that overall schematic issue, you know, DeRozan at the three, he's undersized at three, kind of has to play the three because he'll never get over a screen guarding a one or a two. He's, He's got to guard whoever the least threatening guy is on the perimeter, basically regardless of position. That's who he's going to guard. But and you know he can't really guard the two because anybody who can come off of screens, he's not going to be able to do that, and he's not really a great help defender. If uh, Patrick Williams is guarding the three on the other team, then DeRozan's got to guard the four, and so maybe DeRozan, you know, the four is not that threatening, or whatever. It's just some combo forward guy. But then you also have help duties and rebounding duties at that position as well that he's not going to be that good at. And so you kind of run into this issue where you've got you just not enough fingers to put into the dike. Uh, and then you might say, well, all right, who guards? Your, you, know, you mentioned Devin Booker, right? Like, can you put Lonzo on him? Eh, maybe. You know, he's he, he tries there, but he's kind of better as a help guy as well. Uh, but, you know, Zach's probably not going to guard those guys. Maybe you can say 
Lonzo will be more of an off-ball guy. We'll put Zach on, uh, you know, a, a really good shooting guard or point guard, but that's that's not ideal either. So the starting unit, I mean, they run into a lot of problems, and you know that's starting to make me think more that Billy Donovan is going to really need to find the combinations that work throughout the course of a game because they have good players, but it's just some of these combinations. And you can say the same thing on offense too with Caruso and Derek Jones Jr. being limited as shooters that he's got to always be very cognizant of, okay, do I have enough defense on the floor? Do I have enough offense on the floor? Do I have enough shooting? And, you know, there's a long-winded answer here, but there are a lot of kind of issues with these guys who have all, they have guys who have a lot of strengths, but they also have guys who have a lot of weaknesses. And so that's, that's going to be a difficult coaching job for him, I think. Yeah, and it, it, it's kind of a continuation of a of a theme for the Bulls over the last couple of years. I think I think they're in a better position in terms of addressing this problem because there's more talent on the roster, but a lot of players that are one way players, one way or the other. Yeah. Um, and you're right; the combinations are going to be key. I, I like really, Lonzo might be the only two way player on this team. Yeah, I mean, I, I I guess you again, like you could talk yourself into the potential for Zach. I, I think Patrick Williams would have a long way to go offensively to get there. I mean, really on both ends, actually, I should say. Um, but yeah, no, you you you, <laughs> you really do have a point there with with Lonzo. Um, I think they, I, I, in terms of the perimeter stuff and getting over screens and maybe having a guy to throw at opposing guards, I, it really wouldn't surprise me if Caruso is leaned upon there, yeah. and then it becomes offensively can you survive like is this you know this 40 percent shooting on what whatever it was two attempts a game with the lakers last year can that be extrapolated can you um can, can you get there enough they talk about him as if he's he's a high high iq player a guy that can you know have the ball in his hands for very very limited um spurts here and there um but will that bear out in practice i mean i think that's a huge subplot um billy obviously has become kind of known for the three guard lineup configurations like if something like caruso lonzo and zach can be tenable. I mean, you have a guy up top and then uh, whenever Pat gets back, you hope it's for the beginning of the regular season. Then you, then you hope that you get the requisite leap for him, but you're right. It's, it's a really, really difficult puzzle to solve. Ultimately it might come down to, you know, needing to score 125, um, yeah. even if you're giving up 122, um, which, you know, it, it, that's a formula that can get them maybe where they want to go in the regular season. Uh, the playoffs uh, should those come to fruition um, become an entirely different, story but yeah that's a guy like caruso a guy like Derek jones jr a guy like troy brown jr um i mean even non-guaranteed guys that look like they have a pretty good shot at making the roster like stanley johnson who who billy has talked about pretty uh highly in training camp i'm gonna be fascinated to see which of those guys vault up and claim rotation spots and you know can they be tenable enough on both ends um and can you put those pieces together well enough because yeah listening to you break it down it it is kind of a a bleak picture defensively for the starting group. But then you look at the second unit and offensively, you, you have questions about Derek Jones, Jr. Caruso, Um, you know, Tony Bradley is, is what he is. So, uh, you know, he'll, he'll certainly um, give them some room protection and and rebounding, but not, not necessarily a creator. Um, Kobe white um, is a guy we haven't really even mentioned. I mean, he's, he's probably going to come back. uh, Looks like a month into the regular season. They're hoping yeah. He misses yeah. Let's let, let's save that thought on him because I I want to talk about him, him a little bit more. Um, but it, just as we finish up with the rotation, I think you know a lot of it's just going to be about kind of avoiding the guys who are matter and antimatter, right? Like if it were me, I would try to have DeRozan and Vooch be paired, uh, because of DeRozan's limitations as an off-ball shooter. Like Vooch kind of cancels that out. I really wouldn't want 
DeRozan and Caruso together or DeRozan and Derek Jones Jr. Derek Jones Jr. for together, sure. Right. So I think, yeah. you know, that's why if I were running it, I would say, and, you know, we'll see where Kobe White fits into this too. Obviously, you know, it's looking like the fourth guard, I guess, now. But yeah. Uh, although, you know, his, his shooting ability and scoring, like maybe, maybe could help out there. But yeah, I think, you know, and Tony Bradley as a rim runner and offensive rebounder, like, you know, to sort of have like the fast second unit and then the slow half court grind you out second unit with DeRozan and Vucevic. You know, I, I think that could be very interesting. But yeah, let, let's get back to Kobe White here. I, I've, you know, clearly as a defender at the point of attack last year, he just was not ready. You know, he he and Levine is just not good enough of a combination defensively. Um, you know, he came under a lot of fire there. His point guard skills have come under a lot of fire as well. Uh, but like, I, I didn't think he was so bad last year. Like, I, I mean, this is coming from someone who liked him in the draft, but you know, his shooting is coming along. He's a good off the dribble shooter. He's a good spot up shooter. Um, he got a little bit better as a finisher, uh, you know, took some baby steps. Wasn't just like so out of control, driving it into traffic, you know, efficiency got better. Like, you know, yeah, he's not, is he okay for sure? This guy's going to be a starting point guard in the future, but you know, I, I think he's still, I'll put it this way. Like he doesn't really seem to be in their plans anymore. Um, if I were another team, I would attempt to trade for Kobe White. I, I might be interested in what he brings. Um, but it, I mean, do you think that's accurate that he's kind of just like, you know, not particularly in the plans this year? No, I, I think I would push back on that. Actually. I, yeah. I, I'm still of the belief. I know, I know like some of these moves don't necessarily from a tea leaf perspective, spell it out. I know. I mean, I, I still believe that he's someone that is, well liked by management and certainly by Billy. Um, I think he's a guy that when he comes back uh, is going to have a pretty important reserve role to play because you know what I was going to get to earlier was, but it, but it's better suited for this um, this conversation here is I think he's really going to be an important offensive spark off the bench because of how many guys you have question marks about um, their tenability offensively with the reserve group. Like I think the biggest point that I would point to as, as you know, if as a Kobe white optimist, which I guess I would consider myself just based on where the uh, baseline narrative around him has settled, especially after his struggles at the beginning of last year was down the stretch. When, when Zach hit the COVID IL, he came back from um, uh, back from the bench up, up into the starting unit where he had been replaced by Tomas Sadoransky earlier in the year. Um, he came back up with the starters in his last 18 games, I think was somewhere around 17 and a half points, six assists, and two and a half turnovers and uh, shot 40% from three and was 38, 39% on catch and shoot um, on pretty good volume. I think actually when he gets back and he's someone I was going to get to when, uh, when we talk about who we think might be better or worse this season, yeah. I actually think even if it's not in the role that he particularly envisions for himself, I mean, he was pretty clear last year when he won the starting point guard job, that that was his aspiration as an NBA player was being a starting point guard and it, maybe it'll still be in his future. Um, but I actually think even without that, and even with maybe a little less volume in terms of minutes or shot attempts um, or, you know, uh, reliance on him to make plays with the ball in his hands, I think the the flashes that he showed as a decision maker and shooter, like consistently, like even even his shooting, which is his, I think, best NBA skill at this point, the consistency hadn't been there until this stretch towards the end of last season, which was almost a quarter of a season, 18 games, when he was playing off of Vooch and later Zach. Um, and getting to a lot more catch and shoot opportunities. Um, he looked, you know, as good as he had looked since the hot stretch at the end of his rookie season. I do see an opportunity for him to come in this year, play a similar type of role, 
And I think the perception around him actually, um, you know, in 25 minutes a game, if he's doing a lot of that, I think it actually may improve because if his, especially if his efficiency improves. Um, So, you know, he's in his third year now, obviously rookie extension becomes a conversation after this year, possibly restricted for agency after that. So, you know, certainly it's, um, you know, it's not surefire. There's a little nebulousness around his, his future with the organization, but I think it might be a little bit overplayed that just because they brought in Caruso um, that he's kind of out of sight, out of mind uh, for management or that he's on the trade block. I I still think they see a role for him. And in fact, I think him and Caruso is actually a pretty decent pairing because Caruso can help with his uh, obvious struggles on the defensive end, particular at the point of attack. And Kobe, um, you know, for spurts is a big shot maker is a guy who I I think Billy really trusts his shot making. Um, especially late in games. He had some good moments toward the end of last season in that regard. And uh, I think they provide a pretty good balance and counterbalance um, offense, defense. Um, so again, it's about finding the combinations, but uh, I, I actually think I, I do see a little bit more um, of optimism around Kobe White's role for this year and his efficiency when he does get back. Um, it's just a matter of how well and how quickly he's able to recover from the shoulder. Um, like Pat, the updates have been pretty optimistic throughout training camp. The, the, uh, the timeline, like I said, is 10 to 12 games into the season, potentially, um, give or take, uh, mid-November. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see, but I think, I do think there is a pretty substantial role waiting for him as kind of that offensive spark plug, six-man type, uh, which a lot of people have prescribed for him. And uh, if he excels in it, who knows? Um, but I, I think there's, there's more than meets the eye there um, from maybe what the, uh, the from-a-distance glance might be. Yeah, and he's you know he's got some shake. He can get a shot off in the mm-hmm. mid range. He shot better on that. He's about forty four percent on mid rangers after really struggling his rookie year. So I do still think there there's something there as far as like a, a quality rotation player at least. Um, anybody that you're worried about as a regression candidate on this team, assuming we get it got through all the improvement candidates, um, anybody you're worried about taking a step back. Um, yeah, I think the one guy that I'll have my eye on, I wouldn't say I'm particularly worried, but just the shooting with Vooch, yeah. um, being 40% last year before that, I think for his career, he was like 33 and a half and his highest was 36. And he really had never shot it even with the volume that he did last season. Um, now with the improvements being pretty linear and he's talked about all the work that he's put into improving his jump shot. I don't think it's a mirage by any means being 40% on whatever it was, six, six and a half attempts a game. Uh, but he was such an offensive force last year um, that I, I'm just I'm, I'm curious to see if that holds up at that level. And because of the reasons we were talking about earlier, um, the kind of potent pairings he can form with guys like Zach and guys like DeMar, it's really, really, really important that that, you know, outside shooting efficiency maintains uh, around where it was last year and on similar volume. Um, I'm not necessarily worried, but it's something that I'm going to be watching for uh, pretty closely. I, I think the advantage for him is that he is, in effect, the third option on this team. So there's not nearly as much pressure or, um, you know, uh, reliance on him as there were in the Orlando days. And uh, it's not as if he regressed massively when he got to Chicago. He was putting up similar numbers. He was 39% from three on similar volume. Um, but, you know, just I, I, I think Vooch, you know, he's under contract, I think, for two more years. But it's just interesting as he gets to the other side of 30 here. Um, I'll be interested to see if that holds up or if there is some regression in store for there because that, that would affect – you know, my opinion on the offensive ceiling of this team, if it does step back a little bit. Um, but other than that, I think the young guys, you know, I've, I've said my piece on Kobe. I think Patrick 
Um, from a productivity standpoint, uh, obviously has a lot of room to grow in year two. So I, I obviously wouldn't see regression in store from him. It's just a matter of how much he will progress. Zach, with as much help as he has now, I think um, still has another level he might even be able to go to. Um, DeMar has reinvented himself to the point I'm not too worried about him regressing in year one, maybe later on in the contract, but not not too worried about him this year. Um, and then a lot of the bench guys are, are just so up in the air that um, that I am just kind of in wait and see mode. But uh, Vooch, that in particular, the shooting aspect for Vooch is one thing um, that I'm really looking for. The defensive end will be something to watch too, because if his mobility, you know, at a, is dinged anymore, um, yeah. that could be a real issue too. Um, but yeah, he, he's the guy that I have my eye on there. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Well, and direct uh, to a couple of things you said there. Uh, you know, I think Vooch, he's going to shoot it. And I think he's earned the respect of the league. And so mm-hmm. as long as he gets guarded out there, that's probably the biggest thing. Like as long as that center always is helping with that little voice in the back of the brain of like, oh, I got to get back to Vooch. I can't stay here too long. As long as the center is thinking that, then I, I think you're he's done his job, right? Like, yes, it would help if he makes 40% instead of 35%, right? His career high had been 36. The other year that he made the all-star team, he'd never been above 31%. Before that, then he drops down to 33, doesn't make the all-star team, and then he's back making the all-star team when he made 40% last year. You know, So it's it's a, a formula. But I think, yeah, his usage going down, I think is fine. You know, he's not that efficient. I'd like to see him maybe using the three-pointer, try to get that true shooting percentage up into the high 50s. It's tough for him because he never, ever gets to the line. Uh, but And that's not going to change at this point. And then you mentioned Levine. You know, a big part of why he was so good last year was that that off-the-dribble three-point shooting was just ridiculous. And that's always something he's been pretty good at. I mean, that's the number one thing, even more so than his athleticism, that has made you a believer in it if you're a Zach Levine believer, which I've, I've come around to being over the years. Uh, but, you know, that could regress. He took a – I think he was, like, you know, shooting 40% on off-the-dribble threes. You might remember yeah, the number better than me. but Yeah, you make a good point there. You make a good point there. But, but, I mean, the other thing is this guy has gotten better and better and better every single year. Like, he really deserves a ton of credit for that. And so, you know, I don't think he's going to have the same per-game stats. You know, he's not going to be 27 points a game or whatever it was last year because they've got DeRozan. We've got a full season of, of Vooch as well. But, you know, I think he could easily be a better player even if it's not reflected in the per-game numbers. But it's just a question of, like, how real that shooting can be. I mean, it is... There are not many guys in the entire league, in the entire history of the league, that can consistently shoot over 40% on jump shots off the dribble. And so that's, you know, you have to think there might be a little bit of a regression there, or sorry, over 40% on jump shots from three off the dribble. And so you think they're probably more likely than not that that's going to take a little bit of a step back. But when he's also been on this great trajectory, you can't be sure about that either. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think, I, I think certainly, you know, even if Zach is put in positions, I mean, as a catch and shoot three point shooter, I think it was obviously lower volume, but he was like 48% in 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 that context last year. So as, as good and as pure of a shooter as he is, even if the numbers are ripe for aggression with Zach uh, to your point about, you know, even if the 
production goes down a little bit or if the percentages dip yeah. by a point or two. I still the, think the turnovers could, could really yes. go down. I think that's that's a number I think you can watch very closely for him. Yes. And defensively, I mean, you know, even if statistically the the impact isn't positive, like there if he can continue to make strides on that end, I think if he's down a point, two points, three points a game and, you know, the efficiency regresses a little bit but still settles in a pretty good place. And, you know, he's more consistently reliable on the defensive end and more aware um, off the ball and things like that. Um, I think he could come out of this season. And the other, I mean, if the, if the Bulls win total increases drastically, I think, you know, even with regression baked in to his um, expectation for this year, I still think he could come out widely perceived as, you know, as good of a player as he was last year, if not um, better. So uh, you're definitely right though, that, um, you know, that there, everything stat wise that he put up last year screams for regression just because it was at such a ludicrous, especially on his, on his usage and on his volume. I mean, just ludicrous near historic efficiency for him to be at 27 and a half points a game. And basically 51, 42, 85 is just, it's just crazy. Um, No. And and I think the other thing too about him is, you know, I I agree with you, what you said earlier that putting the ball in DeRozan's hands, you kind of have to, because DeRozan doesn't really need to get guarded off the ball. Um, but I think that also can uh, unlock Zach. Like he's been, you know, right on those off the dribble threes, you know, maybe when he's on the second unit and they don't have as much spacing and they has got more athleticism than those off the dribble threes and putting the ball in his hands there that you do that. But I think with the starting group, you know, having him run two man games off the ball with Vucevic is what I'd really like to see. And, you know, DeRozan, you do have to guard him when he has the ball, obviously. And so, you know, to have Zach, coming off of screens which he hasn't done that much of his in in his career um mm-hmm. you know but because he is so fast to just i mean that's how you can dunk from the free throw line right is you're just really fast like if you ever see him out in transition like guys just give up like they're not going to catch up to him like he is in a straight line one of the fastest guys in the nba so if you can get him on the move coming out of the corner off the screen let him turn the corner uh you know that could be really good and then yeah the footwork to be a shooter shooting screens uh, or shooting off screens off the ball, you know, that's something that he hasn't done a ton of yet. And I think hopefully that's something that he can add to his game a, a little bit this year. Um, a- any other uh, big strengths uh, on this team that we haven't talked about yet? Um, I, I'll be curious to see how the rebounding holds up. They were a pretty good uh, rebounding team, especially after the deadline um, on the defensive side were, were pretty terrific, um, but they were playing much, much, much bigger. Uh, than they were yeah. now. So I'll just be interested to see how that holds up. That was a strength last year. I don't anticipate it being as overwhelming um, of one this year. Um, so that's one. But I, I just think offensively, in general, the versatility, the amount of ball handlers that they have and playmakers is so – it must be so unfamiliar to be a Bulls fan yeah. and see this amount of playmaking on the floor at once that I think um, offensively, just in general, I could see them making strides um, in a lot of different areas. That So – yeah. I think just their passing, ability. To- I think right. I mean, you've got Vooch is a plus passer for his position. Lonzo, you know, I think Jerosen is a plus passer for his position at this point in time. Zach is probably about average yep. for his position. You know, Patrick Williams, maybe, maybe not so. But uh, <laughs> it, you know, they're not going to be putting the ball in his hands to make plays. So I, I think that's when you kind of have this team. Oh, you know, maybe it's not the greatest fit. You have a few spacing concerns. When you have a good passing team, it's much easier to figure it out in those situations. Absolutely. And, and responsible pass. Like when, if the ball is in DeRozan's hands a lot, Vucevic's hands, Lonzo's hands, those are all, you know, low turnover guys. Um, Obviously context 
um, dependent, but that was such a big problem for them last year. I think passing ability combined with responsibility and decision-making um, can cut down on a lot of their different issues. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that's, that's a really good one to, uh, to toss in there. Just the, the amount of, um, um, the amount of different guys that you can put the ball in their hands and, and trust that they're going to be able to pick guys out and, and do it in the right way uh, is encouraging offensively. Just gives them a lot of different ways that they can hurt you. Whereas last year, you know, Zach gets hot. The Atlanta game when he dropped 50 is the, the first example that comes to mind. I mean, you could just literally throw three bodies at him and neutralize uh, a lot of the different things the Bulls are doing offensively. You're not necessarily going to be able to do that um, in as simple a manner uh, with this team. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned the rebounding. I think they're going to be terrible offensive rebounding yeah. with the starters. Uh, they're small. Vooch spends a lot of time on the perimeter. I think with the backups, they actually could be pretty decent. Tony Bradley is one of the best offensive rebounders in the NBA. And, you know, Derek Jones Jr., if he's the backup four, he'll crash the glass. Even Caruso, you know, he'll kind of stick his head in there and get some long offensive rebounds, get some loose balls that pop out or on the free throw line, that kind of stuff. So, I, I mean, they, they kind of, in some ways, the starting unit and the backup, like they're going to be kind of separate teams, you know, you would say. And when I thought about, when I did my tiers for offense and defense, I was like, I, I immediately was like, all right, putting the Bulls in, bottom five, obvious. And I think, you know, they might play at that level with the starters. Like, I think that's a possibility. I mean, they're going to be trying to win. They got a decent coach. They got some vets. So, you know, I mean, I think they'll at least be trying to play with the, with effort with the guys that they have, but they just don't have that much talent. Uh, but then, yeah, you know, Caruso and some of these guys that they could bring in off the, off the bench, uh, you know, I think that might kind of save things a little bit. And, you know, so maybe, maybe I'll see them kind of, you know, low 20s instead of high 20s uh, defensively overall. I mean, I still don't think it's necessarily – going to be a strength of theirs and so then the big question as we kind of get into predictions here mm-hmm. is how good is this offense going to be I mean that's that's the real question like I just don't you know the defense it's going to either be below average or way below average I think that that's pretty obvious to me if Billy Donovan gets this group into the top half of the league uh I will make a couple of every negative thing I ever said about uh, Billy Donovan as a coach uh and but yeah I mean so what, what do you think of this offense is this a I mean, I think I'm thinking lower into the top 10, but if this team really wants to get to where they want to be this year, which is, you know, out of the play in fighting for maybe home court advantage in the East in the first round, this has got to be close to a top five offense. Can they get to that level? I was, I was going to say the exact same thing. If they want to be a mid to high forties win team and a four to six seed, it, 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 they, they just absolutely have to be uh top five offensively. I, I probably agree with you because I, I always try to think of best case, worst case, and then find the middle ground. Uh, between those two, I seventh or eighth feels reasonable to me. Um, yeah. Like you said, like to, like in between five and 10, but maybe closer to 10. Um, and then, you know, defensively, if you can just be between 15 and 20 instead of 20 or 20, 20 to 25 or 25 to 30, um, you know, I think mid forties in, in the win total or in the win column is reasonable um, in terms of how good they could be offensively. I, I, I actually think that's, I think it's very possible that they could crack into the top five. And I think a lot of the kind of, oh, there's only one ball. I think those concerns are are kind of overstated for a lot of the reasons we've talked about um, the way that these guys are going to fit together. I think there's a lot of intriguing ways to unlock the offensive potential that they have. But because of the way that things went post-deadline last year, it, I know I am and I know a lot of, you know, Chicago media types and even fans are, you know, being cautious in terms of making projections. Uh, the Bulls seem to be too. Um, they have a very workmanlike kind of approach to training camp. They're not leaning too much into 
optimism like we've seen um, Bulls teams in years past that were much lesser talent wise. I think it was the 2019 20 season when there were, you know, playoff declarations made um, at Media Day. And that season obviously went sideways pretty quickly. Um, so I, I think that's the right approach. Uh, for me, I, I could easily see them, you know, cracking into that five to eight range. Uh, it's just a matter of how quickly it's going to come together because one thing that they've been pretty consistent on as an undercurrent to, to everything being talked about in training camp is that it's going to take a while to coalesce. Even if the end result, people are confident that they'll get to that destination eventually. Um, I, I'm, I, I still, with, the, with this team, I'm, I'm always in wait and see mode with them. I still need to see them on the floor in, in a regular season game and kind of see how it develops over the first, you know, five to 10 games. Um, and then I think we'll have a really, really clear idea. The good news is, you know, if Pat misses three or four games, they're not going to be totally up against it in the first four games of the season. I think they start, I think they have Detroit twice in their first three games. Um, so, you know, hopefully they could have a little bit of runway there, but um, I, I think they have the talent level and the, um, the, the, the theoretical fit to get, into the five to eight range, I'd feel comfortable predicting that. Uh, it's just a matter of how long it takes because once the season gets underway and the, and the slog begins um, and the slugfest in the middle of that Eastern Conference begins, they're going to have to be um, sharp and and uh, and ready to take that on. So I think prediction-wise, yeah, I'd have them in the five to eight range offensively, probably close to 20 defensively. If I was optimistic, I'd say 18 to 20. And then win-wise, I 44 45 does that feel reasonable five five to six seeds something like that with the best case being hosting a a first round playoff series yeah i'm gonna go a little bit lower than that i i had their over under was 41 and a half and i think the defense is going to be worse than the offense is good uh you know with their starters again because they kind of have this like a little more idiosyncratic bench unit with their starters you know i think it's probably a bottom five defense among starting units and I'm not sure that it's a top five offense. I mean, there are some great, great offenses out there. I mean, if, if you're, you, you look at it on paper and like, yeah, they got a lot of good offensive players. On the other hand, though, I mean, you know, let's say some of these very good offenses are established already. And we haven't, as you yeah. mentioned, we haven't seen it yet with this group. You know, are they going to be better than, you know, they're going to be as good as like Dallas who improved their shooting or Utah or Denver or Portland. Uh, you know, as as much talent as they have, they don't have anyone as good as any of those players. Obviously, Brooklyn is a, another thing entirely. Are they going to be as good as the Lakers with LeBron James and Anthony Davis? Uh, are they going to be as good as Phoenix with Chris Paul and Devin Booker? Like, these teams have all established themselves. Are they going to be as good as Golden State, who's going to be playing a lot of Draymond Green and Tennis? Are they going to be as good as Milwaukee with Giannis? How about the Clippers, or Atlanta, you know, they're kind of more in that sort of a range yeah. of like Clippers, Atlanta, you know, and, and some of those teams will get injuries, obviously, you know, obviously if the Bulls have injuries, they're, they're in trouble, um, you know, and they actually, they do have a little bit more depth at least this year to where, you know, I think if Zach's out, they can still win games, which is, you know, they, they have some different offensive foci where they can do that. Um, but, you know, I mean, I'm kind of thinking that they're going to be, and then you look at the bench too, the bench will help their defense. But I think the bench offense could struggle. Uh, you know, we'll see how Caruso looks when he's not playing with LeBron James all the time, right? Which was one of the better duos. So, um, you know, Derek Jones Jr. can't shoot. Tony Bradley can't shoot. So you've got three guys who can't shoot three-pointers on your projected second unit right now. That's that's going to be an issue. You know, it's going to be, it, whether it's DeRozan or Zach who plays with those guys, like these, that's going to be a heavy lift. So that's probably a below-average group when you get onto the second unit. So I'm thinking they're kind of more... 
in like the 9 to 13 range offensively and kind of the 23 to 26 range defensively. And so that's kind of a, a little bit below 500 teams. So I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with 39 wins for this group this year. Yeah, so this is and uh, th- I think this is actually the biggest disagreement that I've had with uh, a local expert so far. So that that's uh, we'll see how that turns out. That's gonna it'll be interesting. Yeah, I put their see. I put their best case kind of in the forty six to forty eight, and then I put the worst case in like thirty seven to thirty nine. Only because this team last year was on a thirty five win pace over the course of an eighty two game yeah. season, and I just I I know defensively they'll obviously take a massive step back, but with the talent upgrade and with the amount of games they just flat out gave away. Last year, I thought, or I, yeah. or my thinking they, they is did that, win fewer games than expected. I think they had the expected point differential, like a thirty-eight win team last year. Yeah, yeah, and so they, yeah, they were they were a little bit behind the pace there, and I just I I, I find it hard to believe that with the kind of veteran additions that they made, because I think that was such a calling or, or such a such a consistent cry of Billy Donovan last year was the youth on the team, not not in a you know blaming guys for anything kind of way, but they're just the inexperience was apparent, especially in a lot of the late game. Um, scenarios that I figured at least a three to five win bump worst case um, was reasonable to expect, um, you know, working off that 34 to 35 win pace over an 82 game season. But we'll see when when you rattle off a lot of those um, pretty prolific offensive teams, and especially with the continuity that a lot of those groups have, man, that makes me think of, that makes me a little bit more cautious about picking them above the seven to eight range offensively. And once you get down, like you said, in the nine to 13 range, that's when, um, trouble starts. So it'll be interesting to see because continuity is huge. And I don't think, I mean, they could certainly earn it this year, but I don't think the bulls have earned the benefit of the doubt in terms of making things work on the fly as of yet, because of how disastrously things went post deadline last year. The Zach COVID thing affects everything. Um, But you know, even before to go 12 and 17 and have the offense regress in the way it did after adding um, a guy like Vucevic um, it's, it's, it's made me skeptical. I think there's reason to be optimistic, but Got to see it in practice. Got, got to see it in practice before feeling uh, too confident about anything. Yeah, and I understand kind of uh, the analysis that you went through. Like, hey, this is a 38-win team last year. Like, look at all the shit that they went through. And, you know, no one was healthy. They didn't have Vooch. Now they added Lonzo and DeRozan. Um, but, you know, I do think that 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 kind of undervalues some what they did, particularly as a second unit last mm-hmm. year. Like, the starters were not that great. But Thaddeus Young was awesome, right? Like, I think Thaddeus Young had like a plus six net rating for these guys last year as the backup center, you know, and, and you mentioned like Temple was a valuable contributor. Sadoransky too. Around. I'm sorry? Sadoransky too. I mean, yeah, that was... Sadoransky, Tice, like the, those guys were all like pretty good players for them last year. Yeah, it was one of the more interesting dynamics of last season because the starting lineup, I think I mentioned it at the top, how young uh, the starting lineup was and it was such a persistent thing throughout the year that the bench units would carry them. And you're right, maybe I am undervaluing that a little bit. Um, Thad, I mean, sir, I mean, this roster right now, if you could plug Thad, um, into this front court right now, he would really be uh, yeah. a solution as, as to the backup center problems. instead of Tony Bradley, who, you know, I think Tony Bradley was a good signing at the minimum the limited certainly. resources yeah. they had. Like he yeah. was the best center on the market. I thought at the time they signed him. Agree completely. Um, and yeah, yeah, you might, you might be right there. It's just, you know, this, yeah, a lot, a lot will ride on the reserves. And if, you know, in a two way capacity, they can, they can impact games. Um, and kind of buoy the the uh, the defensive concerns of of the front line. It'll be it'll be interesting to see. I think <laughs> to your point, and you, you make this point a, a lot, Nate. That the 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 level to which 
or the urgency with which the Bulls will be trying to win every regular season oh, yeah. game this year. I, I it, there's such there's such an urgency around that, especially with Zach in a contract year. Because um, if you do all this to to just lose him at the end of the season, I mean, my goodness. Um, but I think I think the urgency with which they'll play literally every game of the 82. Hopefully, you know, you it, an optimist would hope that that would you know will buy him an extra win here or there. Um, especially towards the the later end of the season when some of the teams that are out of it have uh, have uh, unplugged a little bit, but it'll be interesting. So, uh, two more points that I want to make. One is you mentioned Levine and his contract status, and they uh, elected not to renegotiate and extend him this offseason. I'm not sure whether he would have been interested in that. I had heard some things that he kind of wanted to play it out and get to free agency and and get the five year deal. Um, you know, but he also made some comments with Team USA of like, hey, you know, he, he wants to get paid, so unclear to me whether he would have accepted that renegotiation and extension. Uh, but obviously had he done that, then you couldn't do uh, any of the other stuff that they did as far as staying over the cap, uh, acquiring the players that they did. So, yeah. you know, I think they handled it c- correctly other than the DeRozan signing necessarily, but uh, you know, as far as not extending him, uh, renegotiating, extending him. But the reality is that next year, if he begets to free agency, I don't know that there's a place that he wants to go. And that could be a good thing for the Bulls, and it could be a bad thing. It could be a good thing, obviously, because, hey, you got a five-year max deal. Now, if they don't make the playoffs and they don't improve, he probably doesn't make All-NBA and therefore, you know, isn't eligible for the Supermax. Yeah. You know, so that that whole thing kind of, you know, if he makes All-NBA, it's probably because they had a good season and, you know, then he's more likely to want to stay anyway. But if it's if this season goes, and so if he goes into free agency, even in a sign-and-trade, most of the places he would theoretically want to go are uh, so capped out that they probably wouldn't even be able to sign and trade for him because of tax concerns. There's a lot of teams that are going to be in the tax next year that are good. And so if there isn't a, a place that he can easily get to that he foresees at the trade deadline and you know they're looking like, hey, we're just scraping towards even getting into the play-in, which that's a possibility. That's a possibility. 100%. 100%. You know, and if they're on track for, I think, for the sort of season that you're envisioning, then that probably doesn't happen. But I don't think it's not totally impossible to me that he could let the team know, hey, you know what? Like, I'm probably not going to return. And I would probably do that if I were him because they've thrown all their eggs into the basket with this group. If you have Nikola Vucevic, you know, you traded two first round picks for him, you trade another one for. Rosen, they did get one back, obviously, in the marketing deal, which was a brilliant move, I, I thought, by management. But, uh, like, this year, like, DeRozan and Vuce are only getting older, right? If pa- if Patrick Williams doesn't look like he's going to blow up or something, like, there probably isn't really a path to contention with this team for Zach Levine. Maybe he says, hey, you know, I, I, I'm not going to commit to coming back. Uh, you guys are really struggling. You might want to think about moving me at the deadline. Uh, you know, I don't think that's a likely possibility, but I think it's something that at least needs to be considered when you're thinking about this team this year. I'm not factoring that into my 39 win prediction at all, but it, it's it, that all goes back to just how much pressure everyone is going to be under this season. Absolutely, I think it's. Um, I don't know if it's under talked about, but it's certainly one of my biggest uh, things that I'll be watching throughout the season because um, it, it. You know, I, I think it was like you said. I might have approached it the same way, short of the. The Rosen deal, the 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 kind of calculated gamble of okay, going under the cap to make this happen extension the extension that is if he would accept it 
um, would not only you know prohibit you from improving the team externally, but it's also going to cost you a lot of the depth pieces that we were talking about earlier as being essential to the the teams you know the moments when they were successful last year. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think they played that the wrong way necessarily, but this is the risk of unrestricted free agency. I mean, as much as Zach has never said anything to the contrary of um, wanting to be anywhere other than Chicago and being committed, you know, to the vision of the franchise and everything like that, an underwhelming season. And, you know, as much as I predict 44 wins and I, I, you know, I see, you know, being above 500 as um, more likely the possibility that this team is in the nine or 10 range or even 11 range and scrapping for a plane spot. I mean, after last season, to me, it, it can't be ruled out. Um, so yeah, that, that'll certainly be, um, that to me, it's, it's, it's the biggest storyline facing this team because being basically without uh, a tradable first round pick in the future for the foreseeable future and having, um, poured as much, uh, resources, salary cap wise, draft capital wise into this team right now. Um, if the result is losing who I think, you know, in Zach Levine is the best player on the team. Um, man, I mean, that would just be, that would just be brutal. But if you're Zach, and you're entering your prime age years and you've only gotten better and you're this terrific individual talent who has been maligned for being a losing player for his entire career. Um, It's just a tough pitch. If this Hail Mary um, of a free agency period, if it doesn't, you know, bear fruit, it's, it's a tough pitch uh, when he's, you know, in his prime years physically and earning power wise, it's, it's just a tough pitch. Uh, So the Bulls, uh, they got to hope that all this, uh, that all of this uh, works the way it's uh, supposed to in their eyes. Yeah. Well, Rob, this was uh, really enjoyable. Again, uh, the podcast that he has on NBC Sports Chicago is Bulls Talk uh, with Casey Johnson and Jason Goff. And where can everyone keep up with your written work? Yeah. So uh, on Twitter, it's at Rob underscore Shafe, S-C-H-A-E-F, um, the Bulls Talk podcast, as you mentioned. And then uh, NBCSportsChicago.com. We also have an app. It's called the My Teams app. Um, Casey and I are churning stuff out every day. It should only uh, intensify as the preseason um, plays out, and then the regular season after that. So, uh, yeah, that's those are, those are the best places to uh, to find us. All right, and for listeners, thanks so much for being subscribers, and uh, we're gonna have more for you tomorrow. Two more, hopefully, planned for tomorrow as well as we are ramping up hard for the 2021-22 season. We'll talk to you all then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.